Hello and welcome to episode 125 of the True Achievements podcast. Rich has now departed on his jollies and left Jack and I here to hold the fort. <laughs> How are you doing, Jack? It's yeah, ages not... since we've heard from you on the pod. <laughs> not, not too bad, thank you. Oh, took it out after E3. It was a good, uh, good one this year. So, yeah, it's been mental. I yeah. can't believe how my sleep's all over the place. But nearly weekend to recover. <laughs> yeah, we've got a super special pod today. We're going to be joined by Mark, and we've got Patrick Macker, who you all know as Macker Ninety One, coming on later. So we're going to split the pod into two parts. So we'll just go through some of our normal stuff and then later on we'll be talking to them about E3 and hopefully Maka can answer some questions that you might have about his YouTube and how he does guides and stuff like that. We've got some of them questions already. So let's start off. I've played absolutely nothing this week. Been far too busy with E3 and sleeping. It's <laughs> like we've reversed roles because I've actually played <laughs> stuff for once. True, true. So you've played some, I guess... One, I know he's a little bit older. I'd never even heard of the second one, so why don't you tell us about it? Um, so I've played two games this week. I picked up Games Pass again because it was a quid. I was going to buy Saints Row 4 in the Xbox sale because I played on Games Pass before my Games Pass had lapsed, and then I thought, oh, it's in the sale. It's only like six quid. Why don't I get it? And then I thought, hang on, let's buy Games Pass for one quid instead. I can just Could pl- you um, stack them? Because I, I went to look, and because I've already got Games Pass, it was asking for full price for me. I don't think you can, because um, I hadn't bought it before. I'd only used the trials and stuff. Right. Like, it was a, like a £1 first-time promotion. Right, now okay. it's popped up to the normal regular cost. I did it. Do you remember when it was £3 a few months ago? It let you keep buying one month for £3, so I, I got like 18 months. Oh, wow, okay. I wish I would yeah. have done that now. But the deals keep popping up all over the place. I think there's a half price one on Amazon over a minute. Yeah, Three, yeah. £4, is it? Yeah, which isn't too bad. So I'll probably pick one of those up when uh, Forza Horizon 4 comes out. Over two games I played, though, um, Saints Row 4 re elected. So I started it ages ago and I started it for the Alphabet Challenge, or the True Achievements Birthday Challenge, actually. Right. Had a couple of letters in there, but I've decided to crack on with it and actually play some, and I'm quite enjoying it. It's giving me crackdown vibes, and it's actually got me excited for the next crackdown, <laughs> yeah. which it's, I didn't uh, think I'd say. It's quite a departure. Like I love Saints Row Three. It is quite a departure from that, like all the crazy superpowers and. Yeah, so this one, it's the way they kind of explain that you're in a simulation for most of it and then you can kind of take on superpowers and at the minute i'm i'm only kind of a couple of hours into the game but i can pretty much fly yeah which seems crazy it's definitely a departure from the last one um i think they're just going to get the well, if they do make another one they're just going to keep going in that direction and get crazier and crazier um it's quite yeah. fun though it seems like it's going to get very samey though there's a lot of collecting which reminds me of a crackdown agility orbs which is probably why it's making me think of that game yeah, you've got to collect the glitches in order to level up your superpowers and stuff like that um, quite easy to find though. are they marked on the map i can't remember, I remember they're they not marked on the map initially but i read one of the solutions on ta and it said that if you complete um one of the quest lines super early on that'll actually mark them on your map right so okay. basically said go out of your way and do that first and then you won't struggle at all then the second title I played was one that 
Bean Potter recommended to me when he was down for the TA birthday stream again. And it was when we were playing Celeste, and he said that it reminded him of Jump Jet Rex, which is a little game where you play a dinosaur, it's a side scrolling platformer. Um, lots of kind of timing elements to it. You can jump with your character, and you've got kind of rocket boots. So you can keep tapping the A button to keep jumping. You can use the B button to boost, and you can boost upward or right or left, etc. Um, it, it seems all right so far. I've only played literally about 10 minutes of it while Saints Row was downloading. Downloaded that first. This <laughs> was just something to play while I was waiting. So is this uh, on Game Pass as well? Like it's on Game Pass as well, yeah. Right, the right. first achievement, though, as a warning, is for starting the game. Right, so okay. it ties you straight well into it. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's all right, though. So I've only had two achievements in that for 15 games score. Okay, and then moving on to streams very quickly. Uh, you didn't take part in the first two. I think that was Ollie and Richard then. So what about yesterday? What did you play? Uh, so two games yesterday. First was the uh, Shape of a World, which was a bizarre walking simulator. It had no story at all. It just dumped you straight into the game from the menu. And okay. we were super confused at first because the whole screen was white and we just assumed that loading was happening. And then we realized we were actually in the game and it was just snow all over the floor and like there's just nothing in the distance so you start walking forward and shapes and kind of rocks and trees start growing out of the environment and there's no color for kind of a first section there's just a big triangle it's kind of in the distance you walk towards it you go through the triangle and that progresses you on to the next zone i guess and that seemed to add more kind of colors and depth and elements into the environment and it was pretty much walk to the triangle, go through the triangle, and that was it. Uh, but you could interact with certain objects, so if it wasn't obvious where to go, you'd kind of look for some rocks, and these rocks were actually switches. And if you interacted with all of them, it'd build a staircase. And on the staircase, you'd go super quick, and that'd tend to take you in the direction of another triangle. No story at all, though, and it just kept getting more and more bizarre with the interactions. So it was the pillars for the staircases to start with, then it was these kind of blobs in some water, and you had to turn all of them on. It built another staircase, then there were rocks, and when you interacted with them, they started kind of shooting liquid out, which was a bit even more bizarre. Um, and that made water in kind of a cave system grow and helped you traverse the environment again. Uh, when you interacted with stuff, it also shot you in the direction of the thing you were interacting with. So we came to a cliff face at one point, and there were kind of four, we called them donuts. They were just circular rocks with a hole in the middle, dotted up the side of a mountain. And if you looked toward them and interacted with them at a distance, your character just kind of shoot in that direction. Um, it's just bizarre creatures all in the environment. You can interact with any of those, but they were kind of passive and just moving around. But there's giant whales and stuff flying through the sky, um, or fish swimming around. And it, yeah, it was just bizarre. I don't know if there's an explanation at the end as to what's actually going on. Um, quite a lot of people were excited about it in the chat, though. 
it's uh, just having a look. Normally, the walking sim kind of things like this, they have a, a decent guide up pretty quick, don't they? And you can complete. And this is there's only eighty nine players so far, but no no one has completed it yet, so mm-hmm. might be one to avoid for me. <laughs> yeah, in our hour, we managed five achievements for ninety gamer score, so not too bad. Then we jumped on to Miller Noir. Miller Noir, I'm not too sure how to pronounce it, but uh, this was a kind of 8 bit uh, Hitman game, I suppose. Right. Um, it starts off, and you, uh, so it's graphically for Star Wars, really quite cool. It's kind of um, top down, but at an angle. It's not standard 8 bit graphic Star Wars, it's 2D, 3D, so you've got kind of multiple planes you can move on. You're moving up the screen, down the screen. Uh, left trigger allows your character to take cover. You have a gun and you can aim that on the right stick and move your character with the left stick. And you play a hitman, you start off in the toilet at the very start and you're playing somebody that's actually trying to take your character out. And they go into the toilet, they shoot the wrong stool and kill somebody else and then you kill the person that's tried to take you out, and then it kind of progresses from there. Um, you go and talk to kind of a mafia boss, and he points you in the direction of somebody that he wants taken out at a brothel. Um, you then head over there, and it has pixelated full frontal nudity in it. So <laughs> it's, pr- it's pretty much like cyberpunk already, right? Is that? <laughs> um, it, it was quality, though. Um, some really good mechanics in it. So when, when you're shooting enemies um, your gun will run out of ammo but you can use the rb button to reload it uh, if you spot a sign um so like a road sign a circular one you can aim at that and shoot and if an enemy is close enough the bullet will ricochet off and kill the enemy so you can shoot enemies that are potentially behind cover right and that was one of the mechanics for the very first boss and they were taking cover behind a van at the bottom of the screen. You were kind of constrained to the top area behind some flames, so you couldn't move out of there. But you'd have to take out the minions, they'd take cover behind the van, then shoot one of the signs behind the van to ricochet the bullet into them to do damage. It was quite cool, though. You had a couple of different weapons. So there's, at some points we had a knife, um, which is obviously a melee weapon close quarter. Uh, we did find a revolver at one point, but that seemed to kind of be 45 minutes into gameplay and that was the first other gun that we saw we could pick up right. the story seemed quite hectic as well and we went from kind of hitman to murdering somebody we shouldn't have to prison to it just kept going on it's just good then much better than i expected it to be we managed to unlock one achievement for 10 gamer score so it wasn't that nice on the uh, achievement front, but there's a lot for finishing the levels without dying, which I think is going to be tricky. Wow. Okay. Mm. Probably when I'll leave that. <laughs> Next week we are streaming Die Valhalla and Licked Spear Double Spear Edition on Tuesday, and then Thursday Wizard of Legend and Superior. Superior. I don't know how, mm-hmm. how you pronounce that one. News, obviously, it's E3 week. Go listen to the last podcast. There's tons of news. We went through it all. Then we'll probably talk about some of like the bigger stuff with Macca and Mark a little later. And then there was no back compat. Sad week. I'm surprised he didn't mention anything about back compat. Yeah, it was. there's nothing at any of the conferences at all. Usually there's kind of a little acknowledgement at least, isn't there? But yeah, like I'm, 
I'm surprised. Like last year, it was the big thing was original Xbox stuff, and then the for that obviously normal 360 back compat. But yeah, you would have normal. even thought just kind of like a, we announced this last year, and we've since released like so many titles via the original system. Blah blah blah. More are coming or something. But yeah, it's just radio silence. I was expecting like a you know a big drop of <laughs> games or something, yeah. but no. So we've still had a few new achievement lists. There hasn't been a load of releases this week, obviously. Everybody's at E3. Yeah, but... it's a bit of a fallow period, but a couple of big ones this week, though. So we've had Jurassic World Evolution with 51 achievements, um, Unravel 2 with 28 achievements. This was a little bit out of the blue, so we knew it was being worked on, but they announced it out of the show and said it's available now, and the achievements promptly appeared on site. Um, Super Bomberman R with 32 achievements and that looks really grindy uh, ACA Neo Geo Super Sidekicks 3 The Next Glory with standard 12 achievements Magical Brickout with 44 achievements Tour de France 2018 with 42 achievements um, Red Faction Gorilla Remastered with 57 achievements and the big one is Crash Bandicoot The Insane Trilogy and we didn't know if this was going to have just have a thousand gamer scores, but between all three of the games that are included in it, or if it was going to have um, a thousand gamer score for each. But it does have a thousand gamer score for each, which is quite cool. And that's seventy-seven achievements for three thousand gamer score in total, which is quite a haul. And some new DLCs as well. Killing Floor Two has got the Summer Sideshow Treacherous Skies DLC, <laughs> two achievements for thirty gamer score. And Prey had a new DLC called Moon Crash with 10 achievements for 195 gamer score. That was another one that was announced mm-hmm. during the Bethesda conference, and then that dropped immediately. I like it when they do that. Like it's like, Ooh. it's a nice surprise because usually stuff that they announce, it's kind of, oh, we announced it's coming out next year. It's like, oh, I've got to wait. I've just seen all this amazing footage of it. But it's always a bonus when that happens. And they, I think along with that, there was like a free update for Prey. Obviously, no achievements for that one, but there was some new... I think it might have been like a new game plus mode or something like that. And okay, interesting. A couple of other things. All right, moving on to new releases. So today, we have LEGO The Incredibles in North America. I think that's like a couple of weeks out for us in the UK, unfortunately. A Mega Strike, or Mega Strike, however you want to say it. Uh, next Tuesday, we have Heimrich. Mm-hmm. Uh, Anima Gate of Memories, The Nameless Chronicles. Wednesday, Grab the Bottle. And then Thursday, we've got Minecraft is coming to the Nintendo Switch. It's a bit of a fallow period, isn't it? All right, so that is it for this section. We'll see you very, very shortly with Mark and Maka joining us. And you can hear about their adventures at E3, what they played and all that good stuff. See you in a second. Bye. See you in a sec. Hello, welcome back to the second part of... The True Achievements Podcast. I'm joined once again by Jack. Hello. Hello. We've got our editorial manager, Mark, returning. Hi again. And we've got super special guest, Maka. How are you? Hey, not too bad. Thanks for having me. Thank you for coming on. I know you've literally like got in two hours ago, so appreciate it lots. Happy to be here. We thought what we'd do because it's the first time we've had the pleasure of having you on the podcast we just run through some general questions about yourself and your channel and stuff like that and then uh, we'll jump into the goodness that is e3 so 
Real simple start. What got you into YouTube in the first place? Uh, my superhero origin story. Um, it's not it's not as interesting as one might imagine. <laughs> Honestly, I just grew up liking video games. I went to school as people do just to kind of get a degree because I didn't know what to do with my life. I got super like hung up in school. And by the time I graduated, I was just so exhausted with life that I needed a short break. And by that time, I had been doing YouTube as a small hobby for a while. And uh, I had taken uh, more of a liking into video editing. So I kind of had been combining that video editing with the video gaming. I'd made a, a small name for myself around the internet, um, just kind of posting tips and tricks for achievements uh, kind of all over the place. And uh, during that break, I started kind of investing more time into YouTube as a hobby because back in those days, there wasn't that wasn't really like, you know, people didn't sign up to YouTube to make money. It was just yeah. kind of a side effect of, of making videos. And uh, yeah, it kind of I wouldn't say it took off, but it started doing better than it did before. And and slowly it became the realization that there is potential here to kind of continue to grow this. And uh, I kind of took that risk and just pursued it. And 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 we're here now. So I don't know. Did it pay off? I guess it it depends on how you look at it. Well, you're on the TA podcast. So there you go. What more could you want? <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember what your first video was? Or your first video that's still public, at least? Yeah. No, all my videos are still... Well, I mean, I delete like videos that are you know very time-sensitive, like contests and stuff, but... As bad as some of the old videos are, I do leave pretty much everything up. My first ever video, I was, um, my friend had a problem with his controller and he had some stick drift on it and I had found a way on how to maybe fix it. So I decided to like in one hand fix my controller <laughs> while in the other hand point a camera at my, at my hand. My dog's barking in the background. <laughs> I am, I'm mumbling to myself. But essentially, I filmed that video for for just that friend to kind of show him what I was talking about. I uploaded it to YouTube. I gave it like a catchy title, whatever. And then all of a sudden, it had like 10,000 views. And I didn't send it to 10,000 people. So, um, you know, that was an interesting thing. And that video now has, you know, 100,000 views or something crazy. And I've remade it uh, somewhat uh, more professionally. And that's my most viewed video of all time now is like how to fix... Uh, stick drift on an xbox one controller <laughs> i think it just broke a million views which was uh, wow. a crazy experience that's for me crazy. Yeah. that well, sounds a like a video problem. i need as well because i've just started getting stick drift on one of my controllers yeah i mean the 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 general rule is if you're under warranty you use that warranty <laughs> don't uh, go crazy because the new the new xbox one controllers they have some funky stuff on the inside that makes it a lot more difficult mm -hmm. to kind of uh you know do your own thing but uh, a little bit of like um, air dust and a little bit of like just general cleaning does a mm. lot of a lot of good. Okay, I've probably got about eight controllers with like the sticks drifting. Yeah, annoyingly, so, it's my elite controller that is drifting on over there. Yes, give them a call. They've uh, they've kind of extended their warranties on those, and they're kind of um, they're pretty nice about it. If you give if you ask them, if it's kind of your first one, they'll look at your account. If you've been an xbox live member for a while they might do you a favor just uh you know never hurts to ask <laughs> yeah true okay so you've obviously got loads and loads of videos which one would you say is like 
your proudest? Oh, I don't know if there's one I'm I'm like particularly fond of. I would say one thing I was like proud of was maybe being able to like get an Xbox One X review unit. Like my yeah. my review for that, I I don't think it's one of my best videos. Um, it ended up being, as you guys probably know, uh, it was a tough situation with the games kind of uh, launching very close to the embargo of the console and. Uh, it, there was some problems there, and, and I don't think my video necessarily came out uh, uh, that great. Like I, I'm, I, I like it, but it's not like my best, finest work, uh, you know, once in a lifetime achievement type thing. But I think like kind of working to get to that point where Xbox considered me valuable enough to send me one is yeah. something I'm like incredibly proud of, and um, something that I would have never imagined in a million years um, growing up the idea of potentially getting a console early, like that would have just absolutely <laughs> blown my mind. And it still blows my mind um, every time, you know, I think about it and kind of take a step back. But I think that's kind of um, maybe a video that represents some of my work without necessarily being a great video, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. I remember when we got the the large console, we were buzzing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it was a pretty swanky bit of kit, wasn't it, with all the stuff inside it. Yeah exciting has the requirement to make guides for the games that you play changed your gaming habits since you started doing it do you still get time just to play something for fun yeah so that's kind of the one thing that's uh, a little rough like i'll be honest a lot of games i'll play them on the easiest difficulty yeah. uh i will skip every single cutscene so that i can get through a game as fast as possible a lot of the times that means, uh, you know, maybe not not necessarily getting the best experience or the experience that the developers intended. But yeah, the, the way in which a game has changed drastically in order to make guides, uh, because I'm going through a game sometimes two or three times like that definitely also, you know, it's just not fun doing a walking simulator for the fourth time <laughs> in the same day. Yeah. Um, but like overall... If I hated it that much, I would have stopped a long time ago. So obviously, you know, I find some some enjoyment in it. But no, there's definitely like a specific way in which I play um, to make guides. But uh, I, I, I don't know. I wouldn't have it any other way. And do I get time to play for fun? I would say, yeah. I mean, I'm at like, you know, 700 hours of Rainbow Six and like 400 hours of PUBG. And those are games that I generally don't like, you know, make videos for. I'll stream them every now and again and. I like to kind of keep educated in that space. But um, yeah, no, I'll find time to play for fun. But it probably isn't when I play for fun, I don't go for achievements or like, you know, what I kind of like to keep things simple and play a couple rounds of uh, like a multiplayer game with friends instead. Makes sense. So obviously having to change his play style a bit is probably one of the least favorite bits. What's like the most favorite bit about making videos? I don't know. Like. So YouTube comments are obviously not a great place, generally speaking. <laughs> yeah. uh, but every every once in a while, uh, pretty you know, pretty commonly, I'll I'll go through some YouTube comments, and there will be some that really stand out, and they're uh, incredibly nice. Or they'll tell me a, a story about you know maybe how the guides affected them. It's sappy stuff, but every now and again there will be a message that I get either on Xbox Live or in the YouTube comments or. Someone DMs me and, um, you know, it, it warms my heart to hear nice things every now and again. I would say that's probably my uh, 
It's my favorite thing, as as cheesy as that sounds. Question from Twitter from at Kingy Owl. Are there any of your guides which stand out in your mind as either a game you really enjoyed completing or perhaps a game which you really struggled with the difficulty on? Hmm. That's an interesting question. I'm sure there are, but none come to mind, you know, right off the bat. Generally, if I'm making a guide for something that's incredibly hard, I've already made the subconscious decision that I like that game enough to put in that struggle. Um, I remember doing the little nightmares, uh, like no death run, speed run. And that was somewhat difficult, but I enjoyed it so much doing it. And uh, I think I try to find the enjoyment out of the hard stuff, but I don't necessarily remember anything in particular. I do remember the the one that kind of stands out the most or the two that stand out the most as the least enjoyable and and kind of the times in which I hated myself the most were um, the Alien Isolation Collectibles Guide, um, just because of how poor the game was at letting you know if you had them or not. <laughs> and the Thief Collectibles Guide, because of how many loading screens there were inside of the city of that game. So yeah, hopefully that kind of, you know, addresses that question uh, in a roundabout way. <laughs> All right, another question from at Snowman1845 on Twitter. Uh, what are your favorite type of achievements slash games to make guides for? I mean, making a good achievement list is an art. Many game companies uh, aren't uh, aren't very great at it, let's be honest. <laughs> yeah. So every now and again, there will be an achievement list that just really stands out as like phenomenal. And just, a, I mean, any game that's just generally good, and the there's a good gameplay loop there, and the achievements encourage you to do fun things that aren't like meaningless or whatever. So like Resident Evil Seven is always a game that I always gravitate towards when I think about like good achievement habits. You have a couple of playthroughs there, but each one encourages you to play the game completely differently. I don't know. I think I just think the creative fun stuff. And the stuff that makes you do things that you wouldn't normally do tend to be the most fun videos to make. And those tend to be the videos you can only kind of find on like guide makers channels, right? So I think that's kind of... um, Did you uh, enjoy the list for A Way Out recently? That was pretty interesting. Yeah, it was an interesting list. Um, They would have had it no other way considering the achievement list for Brothers is pretty much identical in, in, you know when you look at it but um i thought that one was cool it would have been nice maybe if they gave one for like completing the prologue just for like tracking purposes to kind of see you know the percentages on xbox live or or have more people on ta with the game that's kind of the the one thing i don't like is that you could theoretically play the game for like eight hours and get zero gamer score in it But overall, the idea that like each achievement is like a cool, unique Easter egg or like a thing that's optional. I like that. It's cool. And each one's like a small reference to something, right? There's there's a little story behind each one. I thought that was pretty dope. All right. So uh, what's your process for deciding which games you make guides for and not? And then uh, something I've always wanted to know is, do you get like hints and tips from the publishers? Like here's <laughs> where some of the collectibles might be, or do you literally hunt every single one to find it in advance? I mean, I wish there was a system for deciding which games I cover and which I don't. 
I wouldn't say it's like a formula of any kind. I definitely try to keep up to date with like what game's going to be popular, you know, what game uh, my friends are talking about on Twitter and what game has the right achievement list for videos. But a lot of the time, it's really hard to decide until you've already put 20 hours into the game. So I, I don't know. I just try to I keep aware of what's out there, keep aware of what's coming. I try to schedule time based around the game releases so that if I do cover a game, it's going to be around when it comes out. And um, yeah, there's no process, though. I wish I wish I, I have been thinking about a way to come up with one. But every time I think of a system, there's like a game that just comes out and completely breaks that rule for me. And um, in terms of like finding stuff uh, or getting hints from developers, I would say 90, 95 percent of the time, it's it's just me trying to figure stuff out. I have reached out to developers in previous years, like for Halo 5 in particular, I reached out. But they said that they wanted the community specifically to kind of find them on their own. So I'll get shot down. I'll ask sometimes, but I would say generally I, I just kind of look for myself or I'll look through like um, subreddits of popular games. And oftentimes there'll be people <laughs> talking about, you know, cool things they saw or like a possible lead on a secret they might see and um, try to figure that out. I remember the hunt for some of the collectibles in the latest Trials game, Trials Fusion. That was quite oh, interesting yeah. to watch that kind of unfold as people were discovering new bits and pieces. Yeah, the scrolls are always uh, extremely fun as a community to try to figure out. And there's always these crazy theories about like the last one. And then it ends up being something completely different after people have spent like hundreds of hours doing the same track over and over in this. Yeah, it, it's uh, those are always fun too. a lot of the destiny community stuff like the raids for people trying to figure out raids, the trial stuff, uh, Halo skulls, you know, Easter eggs of any kind in general are always a good time. I guess it's becoming a bit easier with some of the kind of more recent ID titles as well, especially with um, things being ported from Steam, where the community have already done a lot of the work for some of the uh, yep. kind of collectibles and things like that. Yeah, as long as, uh, you know, one of the achievements isn't glitched. Looking yeah. at you through the woods. <laughs> <laughs> Just uh, like, because obviously you're in the position now where you've got a big enough audience where people like publishers will send you games early to do stuff. So do you feel like obliged or do you just specifically only ask for what you want to do or do you just get random stuff turn up and you're like, oh man, I've got to make a guide for this now? <laughs> yeah. Like- I mean, that's, you know, that's an interesting like part of, I guess, the job is like, emailing and and you know the expectations of of what you're asking for and what you're going to be doing in return. i'm not i'm it's it's not like there's no secret there i think generally like games do appear in my inbox sometimes but uh if they do kind of just appear uh usually the devs are cool enough to realize that they're they're kind of shotgun approaching it and anything yeah. they get is just kind of gravy and they're not really expecting anything Obviously, if you're going out of your way to like request something crazy from a developer and and they're nice enough to oblige and and help you out, you know, there is some expectation there that because, you know, you asked and they're doing it for you that you do something with it. And there are occasions where it doesn't pan out the way you intended or 
or something goes wrong or um but generally i would say devs are very understanding um i think they generally see the value of like putting that putting a game in a in a content creator's hands and uh no they're usually pretty great to work with they're every now and again um you know there might be a bad apple but uh <laughs> video game pr is like a great great place you know what software hardware do you use when you're sort of like making your videos editing all that kind of stuff yeah so i mean i have a i mean my setup's been getting a little more and more complicated kind of as the years go on uh but basically i have like a a generally decent laptop i have a nice monitor uh i use the avermedia live portable gamer 2 plus capture card um, to run my Xbox through that and be able to capture in um, 1080p and play in 4K. And I have the Xbox and I have, um, yeah, for, for software-wise, um, I edit mostly in Sony Vegas, which is becoming harder and harder as Sony no longer owns Vegas. So there becomes a problem there uh, once they stop updating it and, and whatnot. Um, should probably make the change over to Adobe. Um, yeah, After Effects, I think, or yeah, it's Premier, probably yeah. Premiere. That's the one. Yeah, I was confused them. And uh, for streaming, I use OBS, and yeah, I I honestly sometimes can't even like. There's just so many like small apps used for small things, and uh, it, it's it's complicated stuff. But if you're into if you're into video editing, that's kind of half the fun is like figuring out all the little things and 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 looking up YouTube tutorials and. And reading articles and whatnot, um, just about like you know how to get the best quality videos or how to get whatever working with whatever. And then for I guess what the most important part of uh, this would be the microphone. Uh, I use a AT Audio Technica AT twenty twenty. Yeah, that's the one. It's it's pretty cool microphone. I like it a lot. Okay, that, when you first started out, were you like making videos on? windows movie maker and stuff and putting in crazy transitions and all that um so it may be even more basic than that if that's possible i used to film videos like on um a digital camera and just upload the file like right. <laughs> there was no there was no editing there was just um whatever the digital camera would catch i used to like record my screen with a camera back in the day <laughs> um for some of my like early splinter cell conviction videos uh, I think I have a bunch of rock band videos like that. <laughs> then I got a capture card probably in like, I don't know, 2010, but it had a major delay on it. Um, and at that point, I don't know. I figured out how to edit, but oh, so I used QuickTime Pro. A lot of people, <laughs> <laughs> a lot of people didn't know you could use that to edit, but I figured out a way. There was just a way to like put your vo put an audio file on top of a video, so I would just have the video recorded straight from the capture card, and then I would record the audio with like I don't know Windows Voice Record that Windows Voice Record didn't exist, but something similar, and then I'd basically just like plant that over the audio of um of the thing in QuickTime, and then from QuickTime I think I did graduate to Windows Movie Maker. <laughs> um, but yeah, there was a time where there was no editing or very basic editing involved. There was a time where the iPhone headphones were my my microphone. <laughs> um, hey, it's been a journey. I, I, sometimes I go back just to marvel in the wonders of the uh, early years. 
I love it. Do you know when like a, an old game gets remastered, uh-huh. and you might you might have a quick search for some guides and you see the really old ones of like mm-hmm. people doing that. Skate was recently. Like I was looking for some skate guides, and people had done that video of the screen on the phone, like and it's sideways on a little bit and stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Brilliant. So uh, you mentioned earlier about you saw the opportunity to make your channel bigger. So was the was it like a difficult decision when you decided to just solely concentrate on that? Hmm, not really. It, it felt it felt very natural when it happened, and you know, I kind of knew that. Like, it didn't feel like a big risk. It wasn't like I was leaving a big job that I had and and putting everything on the line. And if this doesn't work out, I'll be homeless. Um, yeah. You know, i i had I had some some freedom and some flexibility there for sure. I had a bit of a safety net to fall back on. Um, I knew that if it didn't work out, I could just, you know, try to, um, you know, just apply for whatever it was that I studied for. And yeah, it was pretty natural. It wasn't a tough decision. I know that's probably not the uh, the exciting answer, but uh, yeah, it worked. It worked itself out kind of naturally. Okay, and then being somebody who does kind of YouTube as the main thing. When YouTube introduced their unsuitable for most advertisers policy recently. And videos that just get randomly flagged as mm-hmm. no ads. How much did that affect you? And can you think of any ways that you'd improve the system? Yeah. Well, super short term, like right when it happened, it was pretty bad for everyone. I'll be honest. Yeah. I got random stuff flagged for. So what it was doing was it was um, taking your voice and it was generating captions based on your voice. And sometimes it would take your voice and and it would misunderstand it. And it would think you were saying words that you weren't saying. And a lot of the times it would think you were saying a swear word when you weren't. And that video would get flagged and you had no idea why, because they wouldn't tell you the reason as to why it was flagged. Obviously, a game like Mortal Kombat. Hey, here is all 20 of the fatalities where (laughs) we are literally ripping spines out of human beings. It makes sense why that video wasn't okay. Um, But there was a lot more um you know gray area videos that i had absolutely no idea which i would kind of they did have a system in there where you could kind of dispute it and maybe you you know maybe they'd let you keep that video monetized or whatever but short term it was really rough the month or two months or three months kind of after that happened uh not only for me but for a lot of like friends and just generally the youtube community it was it was hard it was um you know it was it was a lot different than what we were kind of used to at that point but with that being said, slowly but surely, it kind of built itself back up to the point where it was and even beyond that point. I used to swear kind of occasionally. I at one point kind of stopped swearing. That was before they changed the rules. But I think it helped. it's helped me out long term because they find my video more suitable for more ages, even if the yeah. content being covered is like a mature game. Um, because I'm not swearing in the videos, I think they, I get like maybe better ads. I don't really know how the system works. So, but right now I would say that I'm more than happy with kind of the, you know, the YouTube monetization part of it. But so the ways to improve that would be to, for them to actually tell you like what you're doing wrong. Cause sometimes they don't, they just kind of tell you you're doing something wrong, but you don't know what they're on about. And then for me right now, the really big, big, big thing that is like probably more threatening to my channel than uh, the adpocalypse was 
was their new algorithm for uh, presenting videos to subscribers. So yeah, you got to click the bell, haven't you? Know, kind of, but not really. They, they they've so that was like originally what they did, but now they have a new algorithm where if you they kind of stole this algorithm from Facebook, and it's why I completely stopped using Facebook like for videos at all. Um, but so I, if you have a thousand subscribers, um, and you make a video, um, they'll now post that video to only like 200 people. And if no one of those 200 people click it, that's it. Your video kind of dies. But if a lot of people of those 200 people click it, they'll send it out to 800. And then if a lot of people of those 800, you know, click on it, they'll send it out to everyone. So it's no longer like, Hey, I have these subscribers I've been building, I'd like to show them the videos I'm uploading. It now also depends like who's clicking on those videos, which for me is is like terrible. For if you do news or or if you do like entertainment, that's probably an okay system and you're probably uh, doing pretty well on it. Um, but for me, a lot of the times I'll upload a video uh, guide of a game and a subscriber will kind of take a notice as to what game I covered. And then, yeah. you know, they'll say, all right, if I ever play Hitman, I'll remember to maybe come back to Maka's channel because he's covered it. But now they're never going to know that I covered Hitman in the first place, even though they subscribed maybe to know about these things. So I think that's the that's kind of the uh, the big um, looming shadow for me right now, at least. And, and for a lot of people who do more like video on demand type style instead of like... Um, Instead of getting all their views right when the video is posted, people who rely on views kind of more long term, yeah, um, the new algorithm could be uh, incredibly problematic. And and I see that even as a viewer, when I go on just to like enjoy YouTube, um, they they no longer recommend me my, who I'm subscribed to. They recommend me videos about Lil Tay flexing <laughs> on a McLaren, and and I'll click it because it, it looks so stupid. You can't not click it. <laughs> but then I leave YouTube faster and I leave YouTube a lot less like satisfied with how I've spent my time. And although they might be getting more clicks and more watch time, I think it's going to slowly kill the site if they kind of uh, push that further. One thing I've noticed recently is uh, I've got a few people I follow who make you know, let's play series, but like long kind of form, like football manager where it goes on for like 200 episodes. And it's not even telling me, you know, which ones I've watched previously. I've got, you know, if you go to the playlist, right? You can't see where you've got to actually go into the videos, and then you see the little red mm -hmm. bar at the bottom. Going, yeah, watch that one, watch that one. That's a bit rubbish. Yeah, they 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 change stuff for no reason. It's uh, <laughs> it's an interesting it's an interesting relationship they have with their uh, their uh, users. All right, something else you do is streaming on Twitch. I recently. Use my uh, Amazon Prime sub. <laughs> Ooh, um, baby. <laughs> <laughs> do you uh, prefer like making your guides, uh, like pl so probably playing on your own and you know discovering stuff and editing, or do you just prefer like streaming and just chit chatting to your audience and getting to know them? I guess. Yeah, you know what? Like a chit chat stream where you just kind of sit around and grind an achievement or or enjoy something with other people in the chat is. Uh, it's something I, I, I value for myself incredibly uh, <laughs> highly. It's something I enjoy a lot. And uh, I appreciate everyone who ever comes in and tunes in and spends some time with me. 
I think like streaming is hard. Like I think I don't think I'm very good at it. Like I don't think uh, I I watch some people stream and I'm like, wow, they are on top of it, twenty four seven, entertaining all the time. They're great with their chat. They're great with their gameplay. And I just feel like I'm not that great of a streamer. I think my strengths are probably more in like edited guide content. So I kind of, uh, I think I'm better at like making YouTube guides than I am at streaming. So if if that answers the question, what do I prefer? It, it like, it, it depends on the game. It depends on the mood. It depends on, on the time of the year. Um, but generally, I would say uh, I do prefer the the guide making process um, in some aspects. But there's, you know, that can get lonely just editing videos on your own. <laughs> uh, there's definitely a lot of uh, value to streaming, even though I don't necessarily think I'm the best at it. You know what I mean? Okay. Speaking of kind of interacting with the audience, I remember you used to be on a weekly YouTube podcast. Was it TXR? Yeah. Um, and then you kind of stepped away from it. And I think at the time you said you wanted to kind of focus on doing the guides and what you hmm. do. So uh, any plans to get back into that kind of stuff? Or are you just happy being what you um, are and focusing? Yeah. So uh, I I got all podcasted out from uh, TXR <laughs> for I think close to 100 episodes. Um, yeah. So you know, I decided to kind of step away and, and some other people kind of stepped away and it, it did kind of fall apart, which was unfortunate because there was a lot of great people who listened and I felt bad um, that that happened in that way. But um, I'm not I'm not starting my own podcast anytime soon. I will say that um, if someone invites me to be a guest, I'm I'm usually more than willing to accept you just gotta you know reach out in dms or whatever i do do um i still do podcasts with anyone who you know cares to listen to what i have to say um and then in terms of like if someone else starts a podcast and wants me on it like a permanent member i don't know it'd be um it would have to be like the right the right fit you know what i mean and then and then if if it kind of fit and it was natural maybe but um I don't know. I don't know. It's a tough question. But no okay. no plans. No plans. Okay. Uh, you're obviously best known for your guides. I think everybody on TA must have seen 50 of your guides by now at least. Um, is there any content you wish you could make and you, you just don't have time to do it? Oh, yeah, all the time. I, um, I, I'm in a constant state of feeling like I just don't make enough videos. And... I used to make a lot more videos per month than I currently make. And I've just kind of been like trying to simplify things to get back to that that stage in which I used to just pump out videos. I, I don't know if it's like a time thing. It is. It's a time management thing. But I think YouTube's kind of it's just spread out so much into like so many other things and there's a lot of like paperwork and emails and <laughs> and behind the scenes like writing down notes about achievements that it doesn't seem like that takes up a lot of time if you were to think about it. But I would say it takes up a very significant chunk of time. But yeah, I'd, I'd love to just get more productive with with putting out videos as often as I used to put them out. That'd be that'd be great. And um, even like adding solutions to TA, you know, I do my best, but there are games that I just um, 
by the time I'm wrapped up with the videos, I kind of have to move on to the next game and I don't get a chance to like write, write out proper solutions. So I try to find like moments um, where maybe I'm making less videos than usual to try to, you know, go back and write some solutions for some for some older games. Um, but yeah, I'm always looking to play more, cover more, and yeah, it's an interesting battle. All right, and then last bit of this like Q and A session, um, Jay Stream from Twitter asks, uh, "What game games did you demo and think were amazing, and what game is next on your hundred percent walkthrough video series?" So for uh, I'm, I'm going to imagine the first part of the questions for uh, E3. There was quite a few. I got the chance to play Metro Exodus. It's not a game that I would say demos particularly well because of how important it is to get into the story and the atmosphere and and the f- you have to be in like the right mood to play it. But uh, Metro Exodus is like probably my number one most excited for a game uh, right now. Forza Horizon 4 was fantastic. Ori 2 was great. The Division 2 was surprisingly uh, solid in my opinion. Dying Light 2 and Cyberpunk 2077 were games that I got to kind of see some stuff for that I was very impressed by and I'm very excited to kind of see where they go I don't know Trials Rising is a game I'm excited for did anything like particularly stand out like crazy 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 not maybe not really but like it it did seem like a really solid E3 in my opinion I thought there was like a lot of quality there that we don't know. We don't get every year, you know, so there's a lot to look forward to, especially February 22nd, 2019, (laughs) where like every game comes out. (laughs) Yeah. So, um, yeah, no, there's there's a lot to um, there's a lot to like, regardless of kind of what you enjoy. And then for like the the next uh, 100 percent walkthrough, I don't know. They just kind of um, I play a game and it, it, it speaks to me. And if it's there's like a bit of um, out of all the things I do, the 100 percent walkthrough series is is a little more formulaic than a lot of the other videos I make. Um, The game has to be like under two hours. It has to have like the right mix of um, progression achievements with like collectibles and missables. And uh, usually it's impossible to tell if a video is going to fit that formula until it's already out. So I kind of just try to keep up with the indie games and, and see what fits. No uh, current plans. Okay, awesome. Let's move on to E3. Okay, so moving on to E3. Maka, you've been, what, two or three times, I guess, now? Uh, this is my third year, yeah. Mark, this was your first year? Yeah, hopefully of many. Did it live up to expectations? It far exceeded them, to be honest. It was amazing. <laughs> All right, so I think we'll just go through each kind of conference pick out a few games that you want to talk about. So we'll start off with the EA one, probably aside from Square Enix, it was like a pre a pre-recorded thing. This was probably the dullest of the the three. Um you were both there in the audience, I think. No, I didn't attend the EA one. All right. No, Mark, you were there, yeah? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so what what is it you want to talk about from EA? Did you get hands on with anything there? What was what was the vibe like? Yeah, so like 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 we said, EA was the it's the first show of the week of my first E3 ever. So in the moment, I was having a blast, and well, I mean they they actually did screw up some of like the credential 
queue that you, you had to wait in line to get your badge and they had three people printing badges for hundreds that didn't have badges yet <laughs> so that was an absolute disaster but you didn't really need the media badge at that show unless you had uh behind closed doors appointments and i i didn't make any i made like all unclosed doors appointments i guess you'd call them i had a i had a couple and uh, i checked those games out but they weren't like in the business lounge so ultimately i didn't need my badge so it wasn't a big deal but yeah i was ha- i was having a good time there and they were like giving away lots of swag you know like they always do i ended up getting a tennessee titans hat because they were <laughs> sold out of the patriots ones by the time i got up there and uh but yeah as the week went on it it really looked much worse than everything else in comparison it kind of like if i had to give like a word or a phrase to to describe the vibe of each one ea's was more like a business meeting which makes sense if you know, for anyone who understands where EA has been for the past like 10, 15 years, like that, that kind of fits. Whereas like, you know, Bethesda's was like a party. Microsoft's was, <laughs> was like almost them like, uh, like for Microsoft, I guess I'd call it like promise, you know, like they're, they're promising to like write that ship that I would say Don Matrick <laughs> destroyed previously. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, EA's in the moment, it was fun. And then as the week went on, it just like looked worse and worse. There was a cool f- moment I saw, um, What's the name of their CEO? Uh, Andrew Wilson, is it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he, after the show, he was out at the Unravel 2 booth making, uh, they had like a booth where you could create your own Yarny of different colors because now in Unravel 2, there are new new colors and not just a red one. And he was making one with his daughter. And, you know, the, the cynic could say, that's just like a photo op, you know, he's just out there trying to look good for the company. And, and I'm sure, you know, that's probably part of it too, but also like, the dude's a dad and I'm sure part of it was he just genuinely enjoyed that. And so I, I, I thought that was a nice moment. Uh, yeah, for the most part, you know, they focused on Anthem a lot and their presentation was still kind of the old style where they had long talking sections. And I think everybody else has kind of like gotten away from that over the past few years, but it, it was okay. I, I, I went into an Anthem demo, not knowing it was just a demonstration and not a hands-on. Um, it was basically the 20 minute version of like the five minute thing that we all saw on stage. It's it's not my type of game, but it looks absolutely gorgeous. I call it a, the, the way I'm looking at Anthem is is, is if uh, it's like if the Avengers were just for Tony Stark's, you know, it's it's like everybody's like Iron Man, basically. <laughs> it's it's like I said, it's not exactly my, my type of game, though, but for people who like destiny and the division and those, those long-term like games of service games that are going to keep throwing more content at you all the time, it's probably going to do well. It's super polished at least, you know, and and like I said, it looks absolutely beautiful. And then I, I was curious about Madden. So I went over there and spoke to the lead gameplay designer for a while. So I'm, I'm hopeful for that. And this Madden's coming to PC as well, isn't it? Yeah. I think they said the first time in like a decade, Mm -hmm. which is cool for those players. I, I don't play on PC, but but yeah, Madden is one of those series I, f- I foolishly buy every year still. I'm one of those people. And uh, they, they've been pretty quiet about it. You know, even on stage, they weren't really talking in detail about anything or the trailers weren't revealing. But I guess uh, as it turns out, the trailer was kind of revealing because it's mainly about like the on the field locomotion. And that's kind of what the trailer was highlighting. It just was kind of subtle about that. <laughs> Battlefield 5 is a game that's curious to me because they didn't really show a great deal of it at the reveal event thing. And then I was expecting they'd do, you know, the whole shoutcasty weird thing that they do <laughs> for a multiplayer match during the press conference. Didn't do that. And then they just showed like a, a brief thing for the war stories in the Xbox. So was there actually a 
playable demo there or anything? Yeah, yeah, I went I went hands-on. I did a 32 versus 32 match of that new Grand Operations mode, which basically builds on Operations mode from Battlefield 1. And right. if if you see they've they've covered it a little bit like I think even in the Trevor Noah reveal they covered what this mode's going to be, but basically it's multiple days on multiple maps with multiple objectives. So it's it's it kind of it feels the most like an actual well you know not an actual war <laughs> but it feels the most elaborate of of anything they've ever done before on Battlefield and you know you still keep the massive maps that everybody loves and you still keep all the the different vehicles that you can use and and so it's got all the Battlefield flavor that you love except it takes it one step further and now spreads it out over multiple in-game days which is really cool and what I like best about it and I, I wrote this on, on site already is uh, that teamwork has basically never been more important in this game. Like that's always sort of a, a tenet that they strive for, but you could kind of still lone wolf it if you wanted to. But in this one, they, they, they seem to give you much less ammo. So you, you basically rely on your teammates to, to resupply you. Like you're going to have to have someone playing as a support class to resupply your squad with ammo and, now when you when you get downed you can call out for a revive so and you kind of appear more visibly on your teammates hud so they can run over and revive you you're not just uh lying there and like never being assisted basically they i don't know they it's really focused on honing in on what battlefield's always said it's done which is like the teamwork aspect and now they do it like better than ever basically and did you get um get to see any of the new mechanics of her saying that explosions can knock you back now and they've overhauled the movement systems in the title uh, did that feel kind of tighter or not noticeable i thought the gunplay felt tighter but because um, i like i was when you got to a computer you you uh because we played on pc but with um controllers if for those who wanted it which included me i don't play on most keyboard yeah I, so the class that it basically had assigned to me was a medic class with uh with a scoped car 98k and i'm not typically a sniper on those games but I was I was like lighting people up pretty well, so I was like, well, I don't think I've suddenly gotten better. It must be this game. So <laughs> I thought the gun because everybody knows that uh, journalists don't actually play. Games. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, that's why he looked. Good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I thought uh, I thought the gunplay certainly looked better, and but you know the other team had different objectives than us, so I didn't get to see some of the things that they're that they're pressing on about, like uh, how you can fortify different areas now it's it's almost a little bit like Fortnite. you gotta you've got to build up like like fortifications like fences and walls and stuff and anybody can do them but certain classes do them better which is kind of something that carries through like all of battlefield but yeah it's definitely better I, I think the changes are kind of incremental more than revolutionary but they're they're changes that like if you already love battlefield these these are like the things you were looking for and like for me it's always a game i wish i had more time for honestly <laughs> Right, so then the next day was Microsoft. I think it's fair to say they had probably the strongest conference out of all the big ones that showed. Maka, you got to actually play and stream Ori and the Will of the Wisps. How did that yeah. go down? It was cool. It was exciting. So I like, it's more Ori, like no doubt. <laughs> You're not tricking anybody here, right? Like, it's not like a revolutionary, new, completely overhauled. It's still Ori. I did talk to one of the devs there and to kind of ask him about some of the changes, like the art style and the, and the music has kind of even been taken a step further somehow. 
They got the same composer as in the first game, which is really important. So it's a 2D game, obviously, but apparently everything's rendered in 3D, which allows them to get like better lighting than they used to be able to get. I learned that fact after I played, so it wasn't really something I looked out for. I'll have to go watch the videos back and and figure out if it makes a difference. And then they have um, a new system where like you get currency and you can spend that currency on upgrades and like maps and stuff. And in Ori 1, they had like a skill tree where you had to unlock things in order. In Ori 2, we'll call it, I, f- I feel like it's just slightly easier and it's slightly less confusing for people. <laughs> um, in Ori 2, it's more of like a traditional kind of RPG style upgrade. Like you get, like you can equip kind of like multiple skills and you can kind of uh, upgrade each skill individually without having to go through the chain in order. Um, And there's also like six or something upgrades, but you only get to use four of them at a time. So there's like some choice there. They mentioned the game was a little more accessible, maybe a little bit easier. Um, There was some new mechanics in there, like the grapple and the burrow, which were were pretty cool. I don't know, man. It's more Ori and I'm I'm very excited (laughs) about it. I saw the... uh the Ori demo, they, they had tons of screens available in the, in the media showcase. And actually, despite being able to jump on one, I avoided it because I haven't played the first one, but I did think it looked absolutely gorgeous. I could see what you mean by that, by the lighting changes. A question for you, Mark, because I know uh, like Maka, you've already got an X, obviously. I, the biggest thing for me when I started playing on the X was the HDR more than probably the 4k, just like the, it makes things look amazing. Did you kind of, now that you've had a go to, chance to play on an X and see stuff in 4K, has it made you think, oh, I might actually upgrade? Well, yeah, I, I mean, I'm, I'm sold on the idea of it. I would love to upgrade, except I would have to upgrade my TV because I bought a 4K TV right before they all started getting HDR attached to them. So, like, mine was, like, immediately obsolete because <laughs> I didn't do my research. So I would basically have to go out and buy another 4K TV to justify buying the Xbox One X. But yeah, a game like Ori and Forza, like those games take advantage of it in a way that few others do. And it just looks like stunning. It's it's incredible. <laughs> and to be fair, some of the some of the games, because they have um, HDR is very hard to work with when you're capturing and stuff. And for the showcase, a lot of them were hooked up to like some capture cards and stuff. So some of the games, although they there were screens that would show them in HDR, a lot of them weren't playable in HDR, which right. was more of kind of a side effect of uh you know, being able to capture the actual footage and not have to uh, have a PhD in <laughs> physics to figure sure. out how to decode it. So I'm sure a lot of them do. Do you know when you like go into a store to buy a TV and they have like that TV mode where everything's super bright? I'm sure they probably do that, make everything look a little bit better even than it is. But another game that was probably between Jack, Rich and myself was probably the one that we all really like to look up as far as a Horizon 4. Mark, I know you played it a couple of times. Mac, you actually sat in a car thing and were driving it around. So I, yeah. what did you all make of that? I did Forza Horizon 4 in four different <laughs> ways. <laughs> so I got to play it at the showcase. I got to go to like a little meeting about it. I got to sit on it, uh, sit on the big, huge rig that like threw me around. <laughs> and uh, I don't know. I guess it's only three ways. But yeah, no, Forza Horizon 4 is incredible. It, I don't know how they do it. Every time I play a Forza Horizon game, I'm like, ah, eh, it's going to, eh. And, but somehow, somehow, every time it's it's magically better. And um, the new cover car is super gorgeous. 
The seasons are pretty well made. The uh, Britain's a decent choice. I, got, I don't know. I got some info, and I'm. I think I'm sold on the idea. Like, could Japan have been better? Maybe. I don't know. We'll never know. But uh, I'm. I'm excited to say the least. I don't know if you guys read the preview that I wrote up for it, but. Like I, so I'm going as media to my first E3, so I, I want to like maintain some composure, you know? Like I, I was trying to figure out where the line is, like when you cross from like media who's just covering the event to like a <laughs> fan, and and I, I, you know, I think some fandom is is absolutely okay and and very warranted because it's like, well, we're all here because we like games too, you know? We don't have to pretend <laughs> that we're going to be cynical about everything. But like with with Fort with Forza, I really couldn't hide it. Like I was I was playing the demo and. It basically takes you, it's not a very long demo. It's probably only what, 10 or 12 minutes maybe. And, uh, but it takes you season by season, starting with autumn and working through the calendar year basically. And I think by the time autumn was even done, I was like just beaming with glee and I consciously wanted to wipe the smirk off my face and I couldn't. It was, I don't know, something about Forza. Like I said a couple of years ago when I first started appearing on the show with you guys, uh, Forza, Forza Horizon 3 was my first game in the series and but you know i've got a five-year-old who's obsessed with cars and so we tried it out and i fell in love with it and ever since then like we've we've played everything that that the series can throw at us and i don't like maka says i don't know how they keep raising the bar like you think they've reached the (laughs) limit and somehow they don't and they're just so good at creating those set pieces you know and that where you know like in the showcase events where it's kind of staged and scripted a little bit to let you win if you can like keep up the pace properly you know like when you're you have to say it's like outrun the jet or or one of those and i did in the demo you have to outrun these four motorcycles these four dirt bikes and they're they've all got like exhaust fumes coming out of all different colors and it just looks beautiful and they're they're swerving in and out of your lane and doing tricks and it goes into slow motion and Oh my god! They just know how to like sell a scene so well, and it's it's just so much fun. I can't wait. <laughs> it is it like we said the same thing? It's like when we played the demo at Gamescom a few years ago. Like Rich was on it, and he just couldn't stop dancing. Just <laughs> yeah. like bobbing around it. Yeah. It's just got a party it's, flavor it's, to it. It's incredible. Because <laughs> was made by Playground. What was the kind of mood like in the room when they announced the five? studio <laughs> i i love that it i watched it last night on on youtube to show my fiance because she had only heard of it i wanted to show her what it was like you couldn't quite see it because of the way it's filmed i i know mako was in the building so he probably start with me like up on the screen behind phil you know he would announce like so he opens with oh blah blah, blah and we've started up the initiative here in santa in santa monica and everyone claps and then while it's on Phil, people at home can't see, but behind him on that board, another like grayed out like silhouette appears and you like, you know, he's about to announce another one. So then the crowd, like if you go back and listen to it now, you'll be able to tell what it was like. Pe- there, there's like a bit of crowd pop, like excitement before he actually has said anything exciting for the viewers at home, because we see that another yet another uh, studio is coming. And he, for him to do that five times over, like right. each time it was like, Jesus, like, when is this going to end? Like, this is awesome. <laughs> and then uh, I think Ninja Theory, the biggest pop, I thought they should have ended with them. You know, they ended with Compulsion Games. I feel like Ninja Theory is kind of like the, the grand finale from or, you know, maybe Playground. Although I, I think everyone just assumed they already owned Playground, to be honest. So <laughs> well, there, there was rumors about Playground weren't they, on yeah. Reddit and stuff like a couple yeah. of days before. That seemed like this year's kind of back compat moment, you know, got oh, the yeah. biggest... 
roar yeah. from the crowd. I thought for that announcement, the I thought the roar was uh pretty quiet for that. I don't know, maybe I was just like in my own little space, <laughs> but like compare in comparison to like the Halo moment. Oh like, yeah, yeah. It wasn't. It wasn't even close. They they didn't capture that on the feed either. I watched that part last night too. And when when the camera first like zooms back and you see Master Chief's helmet, like he's like holding it. I, I think that might be implying we're gonna see him without it, maybe. But uh, when he's holding it, the crowd <laughs> it went absolutely bonkers. It was it was hilarious. And I'm not actually a Halo fan myself. I don't have anything against it. I just don't really play them. But I was. It was just such a cool moment to open that Xbox show with because like the the crowd went absolutely ridiculous in the in the funniest like the funnest and funniest way really. <laughs> so did that get the biggest cheer then do you think the oh, Halo? Yeah, absolutely. Oh yeah, it wasn't even close, I don't think. <laughs> yeah. I, I think I would say I don't know, maybe my memory's a little rough, but uh, I would say that the five acquisitions might have been one of the lowest moments of clapping and excitement in the theater you do have to also realize though that they probably had like the microphones were in very specific places so you're hearing like the people at the front from fan fest and you're hearing maybe some people at the back that are like maybe employees like who i don't i don't know but um the microphone audio comes through a lot differently than the actual like acoustics of the room (laughs) you were we're in like the the media section, I guess. Uh, well, no, there was it wasn't really like sectioned off, but yeah, it was I guess somewhere near the middle ish. You of could the definitely room. tell the fan fest were at the front with the t shirts oh, yeah. and all that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I guess they probably do kind of highlight them a bit more when they. Yeah, that's the cheerleader section, you know. And and your bit where you're in the media bit, they're all just scribbling down like about time or something like yeah. Well, we were in a pretty good section. Everyone was having a good time. I uh, even let out a woo or two. Yeah, I I definitely got excited for the Ninja Theory thing myself. That was that was my favorite moment of the show. That was probably the biggest thing for me. Like we'd heard the rumors about Playground, mm-hmm. and we knew that they were doing something new in Santa Monica. But like the man- the fact that they managed to keep three of them. On the quiet and no leaks beforehand was yeah. pretty impressive. Moving on, another game you had to talk about that did look really cool, Dying Light 2 Maka. Yeah, so I don't I don't particularly remember what they showed at the press conference, but I don't think they showed gameplay. They just kind of showed like, uh, you know, drone footage of the city. <laughs> Maybe yeah. I'm wrong. But uh, I did get to see like a presentation uh, about it that ran probably for like 30 or 40 minutes. And I got to kind of dive a little bit deeper into some of the stuff they were teasing and some of the stuff that might've seemed more surface level during their uh, couple minutes on stage there. I got to see some gameplay and uh, yo, I'm super excited. Dying light one is a, is a really fun game. They said that over half a million people still play that game every month. They had thir- over 13 million players in total, which I was uh, surprised that, it's one of those like games you don't realize is that popular, but if you actually think about it, it it, it is it is really popular. But I saw some of the demos uh, more in depth about you know how your decisions are formed and how those decisions affect your city and how that all branches and how everything's affected. And it it's ambitious. And if but if right. it does work out for them, uh, then it's gonna be it's gonna be amazing. The way they put it in the like the the press conference with the water situation, like, mm-hmm. it, and then so I thought, yeah, that sounds pretty cool. Like, anyway, and that's just like one of 
a hundred decisions you're going to make, and it's like, wow. Do you know? I know you say like it's surprising that it didn't that it's got so many players, but I really wanted to play this when it came out, and I tried buying it. It was in the time when I still considered physical copies to buy, and I tried buying it in game, and I went in, and they didn't have any stock left. That was probably like the week after it had been out, so it must have done pretty well. I don't. Th- I think it came out at a time when there probably wasn't a lot of stuff coming out. I think on the that console. was a January release back when. You know, February twenty second wasn't a date. Come out around then. All right, and then the next one you had to talk about. So this was how did this come across in the audience when kind of Phil's going and have a good eat and it were and <laughs> oh that was cheesy. Everyone knew it was, like, he's not. Let's be honest here. Phil's not an actor. Um, <laughs> everyone knew like it was. It was um, you know. It was part of the thing and whatever. I thought it was pretty funny because as the as the um, there was like some red text scrolling across the screen, and I realized because um, it, you realize there's a pattern to uh, game codes and they all end with the letter Z or, or Z. But uh, I noticed that all the codes on the screen end with the letter Z, and I'm like, those are game codes. Yeah. I wonder if anyone's <laughs> caught on. And apparently, they were game codes for uh, The Witcher, which I thought was a very cool touch. And yep. congrats to anyone who, um, you know, figured that one out and, and got a copy of The Witcher for themselves. But uh, I would say that moment was probably as big as the Halo moment, if if not equally bigger. It was pretty close. The reception to that trailer was huge. It was uh, huge for Microsoft to have that game on their stage. And they had a lot of games on their stage that were like, it's cool to see that Microsoft has a relationship with this company enough that they're showing off their game in this capacity. And the the energy in the room was fantastic. And then I got a chance to see like a 50-minute uh, gameplay demo of the game, wow. which was just like from near the very beginning of the game. I'm not much of an RPG guy. I'll be the first one to admit that. So out of that 50 minutes, I'd say about 30 to 35 minutes of it was very like create a character, have some conversations, <laughs> decide what your stats are going to be, upgrade your gear. It was like very traditional RPG stuff. It was a little bit slow for me. But then there became a moment where the dev was like, all right, now this will never happen in in real life. But we got some cheat codes here and we're going to basically make ourselves like very powerful. And once they did that and they showed the combat off, it was truly like a mind blowing experience. (laughs) They started like ricocheting bullets off of walls they started having this gun that could like curve bullets around enemies to hit them in their weak parts. They would have like upgrades that allowed better weapon handling and more damage. And you could like scan enemies for weak spots and assess threats. And the world was like so incredibly (laughs) detailed. I didn't see a single loading screen at all. Um, I would say like graphically, maybe it wasn't like spectacular, but uh, the amount of attention to detail and the amount in which it seems they have thought everything through was astounding. Um, and I think for that reason, that's kind of... And and if you're an RPG fan on top of that, that's why you've been seeing um, Cyberpunk win, like, every award. <laughs> yeah. There was quite a few people I was reading on Twitter coming out of, like, one of them demos saying they, they can't even imagine that this is going to be available on current-gen consoles. Mm-hmm. But I think they've come out and said, no, the aim is to actually release 
on the Xbox One, PS4, like if the way they were describing it was like, and what you just said, it just sounds incredible. Yeah. I asked about their launch window, but they gave the uh, generic, <laughs> we have no comment yeah. response. I mean, yeah, if it does come out this gen, they'll just remaster it. Like, I'm sure that'll keep being a thing <laughs> from now on. <laughs> like GTA Five last gen. Well, that was another thing from the from the conference for Microsoft, like that bit he took at the end to kind of like assure people that. They were working on another console and stuff like it. I don't know. It was a bit surprising for me that they mentioned it so soon, but I suppose it shows a bit of dedication to the platform. Yeah, it's it's weird because they're trying to do everything to appease their fans, but like most most like hardcore players that you talk to, usually aren't too excited about the next gen coming. You know, it always kind of feels too soon, even if it maybe isn't, because none of us are super looking forward to shelling out another five hundred bucks every five or six years. So it's kind of weird for that for that messaging, but I think they're just trying to get out ahead of Sony and make sure that they uh, they kick off the next gen and, and not Sony this time. All right, the next day was probably the most boring conference, if you can even call it a conference. <laughs> it was like a pre-recorded thing and loads of clips, and it was mostly trailers that we'd been shown in Microsoft the other day. But you wanted to chat about Just Cause Maca, which I know is a game that Rich yeah. is like super excited for. So. Not related to the, to their conference because I didn't even bother tuning in. Um, <laughs> but on the show floor itself, they uh, had some presentations for Just Cause. They showed off a little bit in more detail how the tornado system works. And the kind of thing that really stood out to me was that everything in Just Cause was like, like nothing was scripted. And I would say, although we got a lot of great announcements, everything we saw in pretty much every conference was like so scripted. Um, It was refreshing to see Just Cause being like, our game is rooted in the physics of the game. Our buildings are built out of like bricks and those bricks react to whatever you do to them based on how you do it to them. And it was just very refreshing to kind of see uh, a very sandbox experience uh, demoed to us where they didn't even know what was really going to happen <laughs> when they were doing it. And I was very impressed by some of the mechanics they showed off, some of the physics interactions they had, some of the destruction they had, some of the kind of gameplay mechanics they introduced, uh, planes being swallowed up by tornadoes, you being able to like control the direction of tornadoes using some some of the sophisticated equipment they kind of have on some of the military bases and and so on and so on but i was pretty impressed with just cause four like i knew it would be cool but it was a lot cooler than i anticipated (laughs) Hmm. did it all run okay because i remember that was probably my biggest gripe with just cause three that it kind of frame rate was bad (laughs) yeah i don't know if that's something I, that I could like assess because they had um they had probably two of what might be the most expensive computers I've ever seen in my <laughs> life. Um, it looked beautiful and it ran well, but uh, they had a lot of money. I I think based on what I saw being plugged in there, it seemed like they had very 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 good equipment, which would probably not struggle with much. So right. that's gonna you know that's gonna be a test down the road, I guess. Okay, and then you both wanted to have a chat about Shadow of the Tomb Raider. I don't know how you felt about it, Maka, but uh, I would kind of apply like what you said about Ori to this. It's it's more Tomb Raider, basically, and yeah, there were a few cool new wrinkles. Like now she can she can like shimmy standing 
along uh like ivy and 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 rocks and and brush like that and she just kind of like hides in them i think you see her do it in a cinematic trailer uh and like usual with those cinematic trailers they're trying to depict something that's in the game too and so some of the stealth mechanics are cool and uh, i actually think some of the story beats that they teased in this one seemed interesting because lara in the reboots she always just seems so infallible and i kind of get bored of just watching a hero that can like never do any wrong and in this one she's kind of like her her close ally Jonah, he's actually getting upset with her because this like town is literally falling apart to, to natural disasters, and she thinks she's caused them. And so she, at the end of the demo, she's heading one way to fix it in the way that she thinks she can, which is you know doing more tomb raiding and adventuring stuff. And and Jonah's trying to be practical, and he's like, you know, Laura, we can stay here and fix these people and help these people. They need help evacuating right now. Like that is the that is the immediate problem that these people are facing. They don't care about your treasure hunt and they don't believe that that's the answer. They need to get out of the city before they die in this flash flood. And she kind of ditches them. And I, I thought that part was interesting to me because she's never seemed so like wrong before. <laughs> you know, she always just seems like she's, she's always doing the right thing and she's always going to be the, the hero of the story. And not that she's going to be the villain this time, but if, if she can be a bit more, uh, if she can have more faults in her game plan like that, then I would like that. But in terms of gameplay, it was it was a lot more of the same, and but you know that's good. I, that's how I kind of look at a lot of Ubisoft games as well, and that's how I kind of look at this series. I guess is they're always like fun, like solid B efforts that I enjoy, and then I move on to the next one. That's probably what Shadow of the Tomb Raider will be for me, but that's, there's nothing terribly wrong about that, I guess. Yeah, were you, uh, did you were you did you play it on the show floor, or did you have the uh, the presentation, or both, or? I played the one at the at the Microsoft Theater, not at the show floor. So I don't know if it's a, if it's a different one. Oh, okay. I think it's the same one, but maybe not. Yeah. Um. So I had I got the chance to kind of play it uh, a bit ago, and I had very similar um, impressions as you did. But then at E three, I got a chance to kind of see some some other stuff they showed off um, in one of the meeting rooms, and I was I was I thought more so now than before that they did actually change some change some stuff up and i kind of saw more of the the broader like the broader vision and not just um i don't know i left that demo thinking it's more of the same Mm -hmm. but then i left the presentation thinking oh okay yeah there's some stuff here that's worth experiencing there is some really cool things that we didn't get to ever do in in Tomb Raider in in the Tomb Raider series before and there is some stuff here that adds value that they never had. I don't know. I think I left the that the presentation a little more even more optimistic than I was before. Nice. Um they showed off like some combat, some stealth mechanics. You have the ability to like hide bodies uh kind of like on the fly. Like if you're on a tree, you can like attach yourself to the tree jump off the tree to kill a dude and then in one motion like hang him up on the tree <laughs> and then kind of you know it's, it was pretty dope i don't know it, it seemed a little scripted but it seemed kind of cooler than some of the stuff i'd seen before and i think that game's gonna have a lot of potential and i i i know a lot of there's a lot of uh tomb raider fans a lot of rise of the tomb raider fans that i think will be pleased with what the the studio is going to deliver i don't know yeah, definitely it's not going to steer anyone wrong if they like the others. It's it's at least going to be very similar. And if it can be similar in the right ways and, and better in new ways, then everybody wins, I yeah. guess. 
they showed it obviously at the Microsoft conference. They had a bit more of an extended kind of look at the game at the Square one, and uh, even though it was a video thing, like she looked badass. Some of the <laughs> things she was doing, like the way she was taking out enemies and stuff. Looked yeah, she's a little more ruthless this time. That's kind of how they're selling her. I think that plays into the character that I saw at the end of the demo as well. If if she's gonna she's gonna be kind of selfish like that, like that's that's cool with me. I want her to seem like she's got to climb out of a hole for once. I mean, she's always in trouble like physically, but. Uh, they never really make me believe she's actually in any real danger. So if, if they can make me feel like she's in the wrong or she's in like j- actual grave danger, then I'll like the next one more than the others. <laughs> Later on, we had the Ubisoft one. I know Jack got really excited about Trials. Like yep. that was <laughs> one of my highlights thing. of Ubi show. I think. <laughs> did you go to this one, Maka? I did get a chance to go. Actually, yeah. Were you impressed with the Just Dance stuff at the beginning? <laughs> no, I actually I actually don't hate it as much as I think the average gamer <laughs> hates it. Two years ago, it was like a queen marching. It was like a queen orchestra type thing. It was pretty okay. Last year, they had like some pop artists that I'd never heard of, which was not... Uh, people weren't really enjoying it. But I will say that I enjoy the musical performances at Ubisoft significantly more than I enjoyed the one at Bethesda. Oh, we've not spoke about the, the Andrew WK. That was amazing. So when he came out and he's going like, "Are you ready to rage?" Yeah, and the crowd and it, is. It, it pants at the audience. And the crowd is just they like, are certainly oh. not ready to rage. Yeah. I've never been in a more more awkward and uncomfortable <laughs> room of people in my life than when that guy came out on stage at Bethesda. It was. Uh, no, no, people were very, very uncomfortable. They just seemed to be like one verse and chorus that repeated, and he's like, are you ready to die? Yeah, there was even like, a, at the end, I don't know, it just felt like everyone looked around and was like, who's going to be the first one to start clapping? <laughs> like, I don't know. Maybe that was just my impression. Maybe I was like overly tired or, or something, but. Yeah, that Bethesda, the, 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 I mean, Bethesda, we'll get to it, I guess, when we get to it, but that's a tale of uh, two different, um, <laughs> tale of two conferences, in my opinion. <laughs> All right, so back to Trials, Jack, very excited for this one. What did they show? It was like more environments, I think, was pretty much the. Yeah, so uh, they just showed off more Trials, really. It looks like it's um, built upon just the mechanics in the previous games one of the really exciting things for me is that they're getting the community really involved with the game again so i've already spoken about it on the last podcast i think but they had a guy that started a youtube channel called trials university and they've got him to make all of the starter levels in the game which is going to kind of allow people to get used to mechanics and used to what they can do in the game and i think that's really cool they're just getting the community involved and they're so open about the development of the game okay so you both wanted to talk about trials anyway did you did you get a chance to give it a play maca trials might be the next game i played the most other than forza i've played probably like an hour i played it at the uh there was like a ubisoft little thing we had and uh, i played on the show floor as well yeah i'm uh I'm full addicted again. I I knew it was going to be problematic, but I didn't think it would be that problematic. I found myself literally trying to grind for leaderboard times uh, <laughs> at like a press event. It was rough. It was rough. Did the, was it you who tweeted? I think it was. Was it something about a tandem bike? 
Yeah, so they have a really yeah. cool tandem bike where it's basically a co-op bike, two people sitting on it, two controllers. Whoa. Each person uh, influences 50% of the bike, and uh, <laughs> you try a... to make it to the end. That sounds that's, bizarre. That's got to be a yeah. recipe for disaster. Sounds bizarrely cool, though. Ubisoft does that with uh, Trackmania Turbo as well. You can, like, tandem drive a, a car. Okay. So, it's, yeah, it's a lot like that. And at any point, either either rider can bail, you know? So it's kind of funny. At one point... I was playing with a developer and he bailed and I just uh, I was going up a hill when he did it. And the, the way that the way that he fell off while I was climbing the hill, I just kind of ran over his body and just kind of hit like it was like additional bumps on the track, basically trying to run over this guy's face. Like, So how did it compare to the last of a series fusion? Did did it feel kind of better in any way, like they'd improved on the mechanics or the controls because the controls in fusion were pretty solid anyway? Yeah, it was more trials, which uh, I mean. More trials. I don't know. It, it felt more solid. It felt maybe smoother in terms of like, uh, I don't know, like not frame rate, but maybe like animation or something. It just felt slightly smoother, slightly, slightly upgraded. The tracks were pretty good that were in there. And uh, yeah, but it's no like revolutionary. Like it's not, you know, more of more of the same, which in a good way, though. Yeah, they, they told me. uh one of the focuses this time was more customization and more more editing tools for for the tracks. Now people can make the most elaborate tracks ever, and uh, and there, there's a lot more, like there are a lot more pieces to your character and bike customization. You know, like they, they break down like different sections of your character's clothing uh, more than they have before, and they have more options at, at each point as well. Okay. So those will be fun. All right, I'm moving on to a game that I thought showed off really well at E3, just like. Looks quite... Splinter Cell? <laughs> <laughs> no, never mind. <laughs> the division, I just thought from what they showed, especially in the Microsoft conference, like it just looked like there was a lot more difference in the world this time around than just being like this concrete snowy jungle. So, uh, Maka, did you get to have a play of that one? Yeah, I did. Um, I was pleasantly surprised. Uh, they made some changes that I wasn't like 100% behind. For example... Like, I never really had a big problem with the time to kill in Division 1, but a lot of people did, so they changed that, which is fine. It's just small little changes, like there's a, a class system, the game, the AI seems to be like a major a major change. They'll like flank you more often, and, and they're quite deadly. Before, it felt like this like bullet sponge, You they were a bullet sponge and you weren't a bullet sponge, yeah. and that's why you would die, whereas now it feels more like you're getting overwhelmed by a lot of enemies and you're getting overwhelmed by like their like their patterns of movement instead of you just like can you shoot all of these sponges <laughs> yeah. which is a solid solid change and and uh, vastly improved the gameplay um from the 10 minute from the, like the 10 15 minute demo that I've played a few times um i mean i had a good time i tried out three of the four classes and each one of them felt pretty distinctly unique yeah i'm looking forward to it although i i quite enjoyed the first one um and even though it didn't have really much end game content i still like you know kind of recommend it yeah. uh, but a lot of people um a lot of people f- were, thought it was problematic so maybe my opinion's not valid for that game i don't know i, I we played <laughs> it jack and i we played it together finished it and then we kind of got to the last achievement and then stopped there because there wasn't really enough in the end game, but they've announced raids as well. Here's something they're introducing in this one, which could be interesting. 
Yeah, I, I think, uh, you know, the division's not really my game either. I came into the first one late, uh, so pretty much had to play it solo. So I didn't get like the, the true experience many are supposed to get. Playing playing the demo at E3, it was, it was instantly more fun because I had a team with me and, you know, just generally co-op makes most, most things cooler. I thought the setting didn't look drastically different you know it's still just a bunch of waist-high walls all over the place it kind of just felt even though it's in dc and not new york to me it kind of just felt like all the snow had melted you know and now it's summertime and it could have been the same place i wouldn't have noticed so was there not much greenery around and stuff like that because that was like the first thing we noticed from the trailer yeah i get yeah actually yeah in the intro there was we actually start in the jungle and i was like well, not the jungle, but like the forest, and but it kind of looked like a jungle. So I thought that was weird because it's like, wait, they just said this is in D.C., but now it looks like I'm in the Amazon. <laughs> but you, you come out of that, and then you're just on the streets, and at that point, it gets kind of samey. But if those foresty parts were like a hint at the diversity in the full game, then I think that'll that'll go a long way. Certainly, uh, our friend Treasy on site <laughs> is going to obsess over it, no matter what it looks yeah. like. But <laughs> moving on to Sony and a game that. We're all going to get to experience, thankfully, something that I know Mark is going to talk about now for about 20 minutes. The, the latest game <laughs> no, from Remedy, uh, Control. Yep, Control is going to be awesome. A lot of people said it looks a lot like Quantum Break, and uh, I can totally see it. Like in, in the trailer, it does, because um, the character, Jesse Faden, she's kind of manipulating the space around her, but it's it's not in the same way, you know, like narratively, it's, it's very different. She's telekinetic, you know, Jack Joyce and Quantum Break had uh, like space time manipulation uh, powers. And the setting is going to be very different. It's, I was told it's mostly going to take place in this one building, but it's a building that's constantly shifting around. It's like a, it's really trippy, kind of like the way uh, Layers of Fear did it, you know, how you would like turned our corridor it would look one way you turn back to go where you came and now it's something different um but it's not you know it's not small hallways like layers of fear either it's it's a big vast it's supposed to be a government building you're working for the federal bureau of control which is an imaginary or not as they teased because they're they're just joking around with the premise of the game it's an imaginary uh federal organization that i don't know they they were they were mysterious about what they do. I asked in the, in the, after the demo, I said, so is the, is the Bureau of Control, is that maybe the idea of like, if, if the X-Files division was more than just Fox Mulder in, in the basement and they, they seem to like that comparison. And, uh, you know, he joked like, oh, we can't confirm or deny like the existence of the Federal Bureau of Control. And so there's, there's a big, like every Remedy game, there's a big mystery at the center of it. And there's a lot of offshooting mysteries from it. And it's if you if you like remedy games, it's it looks like it's absolutely going to be another one that's going to be a lot of fun. I think what this one does importantly, like Alan Wake did and Quantum Break didn't do, is that the setting is now more of a character again. You know, and Alan, you did you guys all play Alan Wake? Nope. I think briefly. most of you did. <laughs> no. No. <laughs> oh, damn. <laughs> well, in Alan Wake, you know, the setting is this fictional town in Washington called Bright Falls. It's very much inspired by Twin Peaks, and it feels like a living, breathing character, and it's as important to the plot as anything else. And then in Quantum Break, you didn't really have that. It takes That one takes place in a fake town in Massachusetts called Riverport, and really Quantum Break could have happened anywhere. It just happened to happen there. Uh, but in Control, like, it absolutely is crucial that this weird building called the oldest house. It's the headquarters for the FBC 
Like it's it's going to be its own character in the way that Bright Falls was, and that's that's something that Quantum Break was missing. Even though I love Quantum Break, it it feels really nice to get back to that. All right, and then something we kind of picked up today, which was a bit of a surprise, we picked up the store page for Control on the Xbox, and that specifically mentions in there that there's kind of co-op and two-player multiplayer. I don't know if that counts as one and the same, or if there's a different mode, but that would be interesting to find out about. Yeah, I, I I guess in hindsight, I was thinking when I when I read that this morning, I was I was thinking, oh, I should have asked those guys about uh, multiplayer because they the director for this game was to make it uh, more playable over longer periods of time. You know, they said they didn't they didn't want to do another game where it takes them four years to build and ten hours in one weekend for all their players to complete, like Alan Wake and Quantum Break. But I thought when they showed off like side missions and how like there's a lot of like branching literal branching paths and maybe some branching story paths too i'm not sure but like there's there's a lot of optional content in this game i took that i walked away thinking okay well that's what they meant by replayability this time but then when the online multiplayer store listing was mentioned this morning i was like oh well yeah i guess that really takes it to to the the furthest extent that they could have and i just i just didn't think to ask that in the time because i thought they had sufficiently proven like where the replayability is coming from (laughs) okay be a better journalist matt (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> all right uh next up in the conference can, can we just mention as well did you, either of you go to the press conference for sony i was there <laughs> please explain this experience oh, thing. oh i don't know i can't explain it it's um <laughs> Like, nobody knew what was going on we entered into like this room that was like a church but like it wasn't a church and then I always forget his name, that guy. You know that guy? Who is that guy? Who was it, Sean Lee? Yeah, that's that was the it, guy. Yeah. Comes out and he starts like this weird like religious speech, which I don't know if you – did you guys see that? Was that on the stream or yeah. – oh, it was. Yeah. Okay. Because I thought maybe the stream started like after that when he started introducing the game and stuff. No, and then um, and then a guy came out and played his banjo. The problem was <laughs> um, no one could see anything because it was like all level floor and all the tall people just were in the front. <laughs> and um, then the lights dimmed and they showed the Last of Us gameplay, which was uh, looked dope. And uh, after that, um, he said, may everyone please exit the door on your far left and follow the path. <laughs> And at that point, apparently there was like a, uh, I don't know what you guys saw. Apparently there was like a, uh, a couch of four people just sitting and talking. Yeah. It's like, do you know when they have like the pre-shows? Yep. It was kind of like that. But the, the weirdest thing was as well, they showed The Last of Us. Yep. And normally you'd expect them to go to the audience and everybody's cheering and clapping. And it came out of that trailer and look, went to the audience and they all just looked confused. And then they went, <laughs> and now we're moving. So they went to this couch and just started showing some trailers. And yeah, it was weird because they had cameras filming us leaving. So I thought it was going to be like a live feed of just people walking, which would have been even weirder. <laughs> then, it, I mean, you get 2,000 people trying to funnel into um, like another theater. Um, we were all just like stumbling to find seats. The second theater was a lot better, though. There was like good seating and really great screen. And then um, I guess next off we pick up where that guy was playing the flute. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I don't even think he, I don't even know if he got an introduction. I think he just kind of got up on stage and started playing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it was weird. 
Um, and everyone was confused and slightly uncomfortable. But then they showed uh, Ghosts of uh, Tsushima, and the gameplay and art style looked phenomenal. So good for them. Like there was that one scene, especially where there was like a sunset in the background and the red oh, leaves, the leaves on the ground, yeah. and oh, it just looks so amazing. So yeah, congrats to those guys, and hopefully that game comes out sometime soon. And uh, and then and then after that, it, it's almost like they started the conference actually properly. Yeah, <laughs> um, they showed Death Stranding, which the more and more I think about it, the more I th- I'm <laughs> led to believe it's a walking sim. But it no one like I've it. no one I've talked to has, I think, come to terms with it yet. So <laughs> I'm not hundred. I I'm not against it, but whenever I say it, people think I mean it in a negative way. I'm just, uh, I think it might be a walking sim, and I, and that's okay. I'm actually okay with that, but we'll see. I'm, who knows? It could be anything. <laughs> um, <For sure. laughs> and then they started showing, like, the Resident Evil remake, and people went wild, and they showed um, that, like, weird, like, Rick and Morty type game, and people were <laughs> weird about it. And um, But, I mean, it was like a, I don't know. So the way I thought about it was like Microsoft very much so turned the camera away from themselves, where Sony definitely was like in its teen years taking selfies in the mirror, like (laughs) no one else was allowed in. It was a very like, this is Sony, this is us, and that's all that matters. And I don't think it ended up being um, their strong suit. Like, I think they were maybe a little overly confident. I don't think whoever thought of the idea of moving us, I don't think they thought of how they were going to fill the dead air. No. Um, what they should have <laughs> done probably was they probably should have shown Ghosts of Tsushima while we were moving over. And then yeah, they should have ended sense. the conference and just kept us there to show us that again, like off stream or something. I don't know. Did they use any shots of the crowd? Briefly. Okay. Did it like- they kind of had this couch thing, and then they, they showed, I can't remember, probably three or four trailers, and then every now and again, he'd go, sorry for this brief intermission, and this we're at like eight, nine minutes now, and it was sorry yeah. for this brief intermission, <laughs> and then they'd kind of pan through, and it was just people walking towards the camera. Oh, okay. So they did Confused. use those, they did use those cameramen. There wasn't a lot of it, though, but what was the actual experience? Because the way he did, hyped it up before everybody had left... Like they're gonna go on this experience and see what we're about and our games and stuff. What was actually in the experience? <laughs> I mean, so when we left the church, the experience was <laughs> we went through. We went on a walkway that was like a wooden. <laughs> it was like a wooden uh, deck uh, near some like um, I don't know near like some like fake bamboo trees with a small little pond. Like I don't know, I. It didn't really seem like much of an experience. I kind of it felt just more like stress setting, which was I didn't find it like inappropriate, but I wouldn't say it was like an experience. Once they finished off the conference, it was also confusing. Nobody really knew if they were supposed to clap if it was over or not. <laughs> but then after that, they had like a really nice party. They had Spider Man playable. They had a really fantastic um, like set designed with like a you know kind of New York theme. Um, they had incredible food. Uh, they had, uh, you know, drinks and, and 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 entertainers and and all that stuff. So if that was the experience they were talking about, they did a great job with that. And everything was like themed very well. Like you had like really great Asian 
inspired dishes for Ghost of Tsushima. You had very like New York style things for Spidey. You had, uh, <laughs> you know, everything, everything fit and made sense uh, in, in the after party scenario. But um, yeah, I don't know. I, I'm not really sure what their thought process was this year for their conference. I think it was their weakest in many, many, many years. And I think they were maybe overly confident and turning the camera onto themselves wasn't the best idea. And also completely spoiling everything you were going to show in an email uh, a month before the show was probably a bad (laughs) idea as well. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I don't know why they did that. One of the games that they did show, or they showed a trailer for at least while you were doing the experience was uh, Black Ops 4. I guess that's something you got to have a, a go of at some point. Yeah, I played Black Ops 4 actually like yesterday. It was like the last game I played. I don't really have too much to say about it. The, the things I did want to note, though, was that they made some pretty solid changes. Like, it's still Black Ops feeling. There's a lot more like the time to kill has been significantly increased. The amount of like hit points everyone has, uh, you have like 150 health, and every time you get an assist, it'll tell you like, how much of the kill you got, which is pretty cool. So it'd be like 84 damage dealt. Or when you capture a hill, it'll be like, you contributed 34% to this hill. So that's kind of cool. Like those like kind of on the fly statistics. I kind of love that kind of stuff. So that's pretty cool. Um, The fact that you actually have to like take a second out of your, out of your gunplay to like reheal yourself adds a very interesting dynamic into the gameplay loop of online because it's it feels like you're trying to stay alive longer and it feels a little more tactical because of that i don't know i really enjoyed the fact that i had to like sit down and heal in a corner um it's almost like an extra reload right like you're not ready for your next fight unless you do this and it kind of slowed down the game which maybe for call of duty fans is terrible but for me i quite enjoyed the fact that it kind of got slowed down they made really significant changes into decreasing the amount of grenade spam I love grenade spam because I get kills with it, but I I see why it was extremely frustrating to people and people probably hated it. They they pretty much got rid of grenade spam. It's no longer a thing. Grenades don't really do much damage and you barely get any to, to use at all. Yeah, like they made some and then boots on the ground like you can't double jump. I think you might be able to wall run in very specific instances, but uh, for the most part, your feet are on the ground. The maps were pretty well designed from what we could tell. And uh, I was generally impressed by uh, Call of Duty multiplayer. Good. Sounds solid. I don't know if I'll check it out this year. I suppose a big thing for you was your guides for the collectibles in Call of Duty as well. So that's... Oh, yeah, but there's no campaign. So I guess I'll, but I'll resort to zombies, which zombies videos yeah. always do. You know, the zombies community is very um, passionate, to say the least. Okay, onto a game that I didn't see announced, or sorry, previewed anywhere throughout any of the press conference. I can't remember, but announced last week uh hitman 2 i thought they showed it at microsoft's thing very briefly did they oh, not? they might have done they may have done i was typing a lot during that one yeah so oh sorry uh yeah i got the chance i got the chance to play um like 40 minutes of hitman 2 uh and it was dope it's like uh the perfect uh i'm a hitman purist elitist i've been playing them for years and stealth games are like my favorite and uh, this felt like a true return to form. There, uh, I played a level where I got to dress up as a pink flamingo mascot. <laughs> and that is like quintessential Hitman gaming yeah. is when you get to be a mascot in a large crowd. 
it just makes you feel amazing, like such a badass that you could just be in a crowd and, and no one knows it's you, you know? Um, so I was just imagine this giant pink flamingo with a blue football jersey and a gigantic silent sniper rifle sitting on a rooftop um, sniping at some F1 cars. Uh, <laughs> it was pretty cool. And then I got a chance to kind of redo the mission a second time. And when I redid it, I did like a completely different approach, you know, from a completely different side of the map and ended up like blowing up the car with an explosive when I was pretending to be part of the pit crew. I asked uh, quite a few questions about like the episodic nature of the previous one. So a lot of people weren't aware that uh, so IO Interactive makes the game. The last one was published by Square Enix, but they've been bought out or they decided to move, I guess, to Warner Brothers. So now it's Warner Brothers under the, uh, you know, taking control. But Hitman 2, all six maps are coming at launch. Yay, everyone. You hear that in the background? (laughs) That is the sound of thousands of people rejoicing. All six maps coming out at the same time, which is cool. And uh, the actual game itself felt incredibly well made. Uh, there's a couple of like really small changes. So they have uh, a new system, a new camera system, and they have a new system with mirrors. So AI actually can kind of use mirrors to see around corners. Oh, so you not have to like watch out for, for any mirrors that might be around, which is pretty cool. And uh, I had a lot of fun. It played really well. And I'm very, very excited because of that small tease of what I played is a precursor of what's to come. Hitman 2 is going to be a fantastic game. So you mentioned that all six maps are coming at launch. Are they all, is it still kind of episodic? Are they going to be additional content or is it all base content? So I think what they announced, uh, I was also writing down notes frantically, but I think they announced it at the Microsoft thing, if I'm not mistaken. And what they said was all six episodes were released. Um, maybe it wasn't. I don't, I don't know. I read it somewhere. Uh, I think it's all six episodes released at launch, and then they're going to have two kind of big expansion packs of like like they're gonna have dlc but it's not gonna be episodic it's more gonna be like uh, large content packs okay uh two large content packs yeah more traditional release for, for yeah this one. yeah i uh i've been a hitman fan my whole life as well and i we played the same demo we, we both played that racing level maka i think uh <laughs> did you you got to just do it freeform on your own or was it developer led I would ask for a small little insight every now and again to make sure the video looked cool. Like I didn't want to, you know, run around in the same circle in the video. Right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so it was a little bit of uh, improvising, a little bit of, uh, hey, wh- where should I go next? Right, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because what's so great about the series is that, you know, you can kind of figure that out. And uh, yeah, surely for a video, you don't want to be straying too far from any sensible path. But in my demo, it was... I, I was hands-on, but the developer, well, actually, I guess he was just like a WB hired like assistant for the, the week or two, but uh, they trained them on how to walk us through it. So then he very rigidly like walked me through it. And I was like, well, this isn't really the best way to see Hitman. Luck- luckily, you know, I, I've played all of them a lot, so I can see through like the demo that, he, that I was pretty much shown, even though I was playing. But yeah, it was strange the way that they wanted to present it because they they just held my hand through the whole time it's like well i, I know there's a time limit here but uh yeah at one point i pulled out a coin and flipped the coin over like to a wall so i could run behind a guy and it like blew the guy's mind that i 
that I did that because I wasn't written down <laughs> in the parameters of the demo that he was supposed to show off. Yeah, yeah. but um, I mean, who knows? That's that you know that was his job. That's what he was hired to do. So I'm not going to fault the guy for it, but. Yeah, no, yeah, uh, fault it was, WB. It's it's weird for yeah. them to keep it so rigid. <laughs> maybe maybe because they're new to him. Choice. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, it was also. I don't think it's too polished yet. I don't think it's like perfectly ready. I think they just wanted to avoid glitches and maybe crashing and stuff. So yeah, and, I don't it, know. and it's easy to you know if say they give us a half hour, it's easy to get through a half hour and not have accomplished much in that game because you're ex- there's so much experimentation. So I get why they had to do it that way. But I think it'll it'll play even better. And I mean, I liked it, but it'll be even better when it's just, you know, they just it's out and we just get to play it our own way and make all those discoveries on our own. Okay, moving on. There's a few more that you just wanted to mention, Mark, that you'd played. Uh, Overkill is the Walking Dead. Yeah, that one and Earthfall. I just wanted to to give those two quick shout outs for people who like Left 4 Dead, because these two are both uh, unapologetic rehashes of left for dead basically so for for anyone looking for left for dead 3 and you know stop looking we're not getting it uh look at these instead because well overkills the walking dead's a bit different because it does it's confirmed it's being made with robert kirkman's assistance so it takes place in the comic universe introduces new characters they said later on they might include like comic book characters they you know they said it's going to be a lot of fan feedback so if if everyone's clamoring to play as negan or rick grimes that they might look into that later but it's that one's a bit different than left for dead just because in the walking dead they're not fast zombies they're the slow walkers uh so it's it's like it's slower in that way but you do have to hit them in the head just like in the show in the comics so that's pretty cool. Like nothing but headshots is, or like, you know, destroying the brain in some way, be it melee or, or, or firearms. That's the only way you're going to get them down. And then Earthfall was it's it's much more. It's basically Left 4 Dead reskinned with aliens uh, and it's it's faster right. in that way. And even like the special infected, well, <laughs> not infected, but the special aliens, there was one that was like obviously the tank equivalent and obviously the boomer equivalent and like they they were in both cases they were the devs I spoke to were comfortable with the similarities um, not with each other they didn't acknowledge each other but with Left 4 Dead um, I mean they were they would really have to be because it's obviously the inspiration for both but I don't know which one's ultimately going to be better I I'm a little skeptical of Overkill's because it's Overkill is a like a subsidiary of Starbreeze who's really the dev making it and they are. From what I understand, they kind of turned their backs on the community, on the console community for payday and payday two, and really just like focused on their PC communities for those games. So I'm hoping that they've learned their lesson because they had a lot of negative feedback in that way. But assuming they do that, either game played really well in, in my time with them. And for anybody who like me, like yearns for more Left 4 Dead, these are these are the ones that you should be looking at, basically. <laughs> Earthfall gave me a particularly B-tier shooter feel, which is like actually uh, something people look for. <laughs> so if you're looking for like a non-AAA shooter, uh, I think Earthfall is kind of, um, especially if you have friends who want to play it with you, that's kind of like something you should keep on your radar. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Left 4 Dead was never like a, a pristine shooter as well. So <laughs> I guess it even carries over that part of it. <laughs> okay. And then you've got We Happy Few down as well. Yeah. I, w- I wanted to mention that just because I... I bought it in game preview when it first came out and it wasn't at all for many, like from like it was for many people, it wasn't at all what I thought it was going to be 
when we first saw it a couple of years ago, people thought, oh, it's kind of Bioshocky, kind of, kind of, you know, people like the setting and I like the setting too, but it was actually more of a survival game where you had to manage your, your food intake and your, and your sleep deprivation and, and it, not just your health. And uh, it's changed drastically over the past couple of years. And now I can see why Microsoft bought Compulsion because the demo I played is, is much better than the one I'd played a couple of years ago. And uh, again, I spoke to some devs and they said, yeah, it is drastically different. And that's because, you know, that early vision was made by seven people and now it's being made by 40 people. And hopefully it gets even better by the time it comes out. Uh, I think it comes out in August, August 10th, maybe. Or I might be confusing that with Earthfall or a different game I saw. Cause... No, it's uh, definitely the start of August. Oh, cool, cool. Yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's drastically different than what it was. It's, it still has some survival elements to it. They don't seem to be as in your face as they once were. And it's a bit more linear in a good way, I think. Like, like some okay. of the levels feel more, uh, like, like well designed. But before there was a bit too open, I think. Does it seem kind of more in line with some of the content we've seen in the trailers for it? Yeah, like, like, like yeah. there's there are still open world sections where you can kind of go off and explore and mm-hmm. and try to survive, and you might encounter different enemies that aren't going to want you there and things like that but when you're actually like on certain missions it's it feels more like a bioshock where you've got an objective and that's like the one thing you're going to do and there's probably one way to do it but it just i don't know it feels more streamlined in that way maybe people don't like hearing more linearity is coming to it but i actually did appreciate it for that and i I think it's definitely a more polished game and it's going to be fun hopefully and then another one i think you played my my time at what is it portia portia so this, yeah, this is a weird one to include after we've talked about so many heavy hitters, but I just wanted to give this one a shout out because um, I, I do like being a voice for some cool looking indies. And basically this game is a Nintendo game for multi-platform. Like if you like Animal Crossing or like Harvest Moon, those types of games, my time at Porsche is basically that. It's it's 3D like Animal Crossing. It actually does have some combat You can because there's a lot of like crafting and you can like decorate your house and meet the townspeople. And it's just a very like weird little like Animal Crossing sort of life farming sim. Like very, very cutesy like that. Very family friendly, even with the combat. So a little kind of Stardew Valley. Yeah, yeah, it but is. Maybe not as deep. Like to, even to the okay. extent that when you're holding plants, you just like hold them over your head as if you're like uh, in the Lion King. Like that's that's the <laughs> that's a an angle that you see in Stardew and you see it here too. But yeah, if you like Nintendo games and you don't have a Nintendo system right now, this is a game you definitely want to check out. Okay, and then speaking of a Nintendo-looking game, Tunic. Zelda Link to the Past <laughs> plus Bastion makes plus mystery plus one guy making this game. That's one guy with a couple of his buddies uh, makes Tunic. Uh, Tunic is like my one indie darling of the show without a doubt, hands down. Uh, I was very impressed, uh, both by playing it. I picked it up and I was like, oh, this is going to be one of those generic like indie games like that. You know, that game that 30 of them come out a week where it's just like (laughs) a random 3D platformer where you're just kind of walking around for no particular reason. And every now and again, you press X to like kill an enemy. No, this game was a lot cooler than that. Um, It was like very mysterious. It had incredible graphics, really good music. Uh, very like Zelda E link to the past type, like finding a stick and in, in hitting people with it, <laughs> uh, solving like environmental puzzles, not like, pu- like, not like actual puzzles. Like it's not a puzzle game, 
but there would be more like hidden paths and secret doors and stuff like that. And like, you know, ledges and switches and, and cool bosses and stuff. Um, I was very surprised with that game. And uh, if there's any one indie game in particular that I would tell you to, you know, really pay attention to, it'd be this one probably. It did look cool. It was surprising as well that it like kind of appeared big screen on the Microsoft press conference. I think that's probably the biggest thing I took away from Xbox was just how the variation in the games, like we haven't we skipped over all like the the Japanese titles really, but you know, from gears and then weird gears and then all these little indies and stuff. There was so much variety on yeah. from Microsoft. It was. Cool. I had a the the guy who made tunic like like you said maka it's it's not truly just him it's it's him and then he's got two different people one doing sound one doing um soundtrack like music uh but it is for the most part him as phil spencer said on stage but he like everybody for the most part that's making these games he didn't know that his game was going to be shown on stage microsoft keeps that all very secret wow. so he said he like melted in his seat in the in the theater when that I happened <laughs> So that was cool for him. I can imagine just watching along with all the sunny games on the screen. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it must have been awesome. Okay, we're going to wrap up shortly. We got some questions from Twitter. We'll whip through these and then we'll call it a day. So first one is from at Burger Thing, and he's asked, "What was the most ludicrous slash ridiculous thing you saw at E3?" I uh, I made a joke on Twitter when he asked this, saying. Uh, the amount of people who don't wash their hands after they go to the washroom uh, is pretty pretty gross and pretty shocking. But um, the most ludicrous thing I saw, honestly, I was like t- I was uh, kind of just wandering around and like you know talking to people and whatever. And there was one guy there who um, like bought the the gamer pass to get in or whatever. And he said that so there was three days of E three, June eleventh, twelfth, and the thirteenth. And he said every day all he did was he would come in and wait in line for Kingdom Hearts. And he's played the Kingdom Hearts demo three times. But each time in the line, he's waited for four to five hours. And uh, that is a ludicrous (laughs) level of commitment that I could not imagine. (laughs) But he was so happy. He essentially waited for 15 hours to play an hour and a half of, of Kingdom Hearts at most. But he was so incredibly happy about it, and uh, yeah, it's pretty. It's pretty ridiculous, but like in a good way, you know. <laughs> was he in cosplay as well, or was he just in standard? Um, I mean, no, I don't think so. He was <laughs> not, not, big, not much cosplay. Not much cosplay. He was wearing um, like a, a goofy mask and an Elsa <laughs> dress. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. <laughs> but um, yeah, there was a lot of people who were just really happy to be there, and there were some, you know, pretty mega lines, but. Uh, the level of commitment of some of the gamers there was uh, pretty insane. <laughs> yeah, I was I was going to slightly change that question because I couldn't think of anything ridiculous I saw. But if I could use a, a sort of synonym and change it to remarkable, I, I said this on Twitter as well. Just this being my first E3, I knew that I was going to be all about it and nothing was going to get me down even when my credit card was stolen on the first night in LA. <laughs> even that didn't hurt uh, the whole week. But, but I figured, you know, some seasoned veterans some grizzled vets that have been through the e3 uh ringer a few times by now like i i thought i would see some frowns or some like disgruntled people and just like literally everybody like 
devs, publishers, like the PR people, the journalists, the fans that are, that bought the fan pass. Like there was not, I never saw anybody who wasn't having a blast and it was so cool to see. And it, it was, it was, and it was enlightening. It was eye opening. You know, you, you see so much negativity about different games. And I think Twitter just, I guess, breeds that and the comment sections on TA and, and YouTube and everywhere else. But to, to be there on site, it's, it's a totally different experience. And if anybody has the means to go but maybe not the motivation like let this be your motivation just find a way to get there next year i hope i can do it forever who knows maybe maybe i can maybe i can't it is so it is so (laughs) awesome just to see everybody that just loves games and everyone's coming together and and nobody's nobody's even remembers what frowning was like it's it's incredible (laughs) next question is from ian triplo he says having been there in person was anything better or worse when later you watched it back did the atmosphere influence or could have pre-recorded been as good? I uh, I haven't rewatched uh, any of it uh, yet. I <laughs> you literally got back to it. I, four I hours flew ago. in like maybe two hours before recording this, and uh, <laughs> uh, rewatching E3 is uh, it's on my list of things to do, but it's not it's not near the top right now. Yeah, I've only rewatched a little bit. Mark, I know you said watch bits. Yeah, I've I've only rewatched a little bit from uh, like I said before, and it's definitely you miss some of the reactions being there. Like I said, with those five studio announcements, it was, it was cool for, for us in the venue to see that Phil's about to mention more, but you kind of, you kind of get that announcement like five seconds before the audience watching at home does. And it was just funny to hear everyone kind of like audibly react to that next silhouette. That's about to be filled in with another studio logo before Phil's really like spoken those words. It's, I like that part of it. <laughs> I remember last year when we were at Gamescom, we went to the, like the EA plaything there and i spent the whole time ignoring like andrew wilson talking on stage because there was the big massive teleprompter behind us so i was just sat oh, reading yeah. what he was going to say yeah i found it. myself doing that a lot too andrew wilson's good in that he unlike everybody else that i saw he just uses like bullet points he actually doesn't have his whole speech so he's he's a pretty good public speaker i guess everybody else would have like the exact words they're supposed to read off a script and he just had like bullet points and then uh drop dead Artemis on Twitter, um, specifically for Maca. I suppose Jack can try, chime in on this one as well. Um, is it true that Trials Rising reveal was bittersweet because it reminded you that she's Blacker is more skilled rider because he has the Evo completion <laughs> while you don't? <laughs> uh, just some friends having a good time on Twitter, but uh, I mean, it's not it's not false. This is true information, <laughs> but I'm not bittersweet about it. I never I um. I'll say I've improved vastly at trials since uh, Evolution uh, came out, and uh, I never went back to Evolution once Fusion came out. So I don't know. We'll uh, we'll we'll answer the question with a maybe. <laughs> Jackie, is that one you completed? I haven't completed either. I think there's two achievements that I need on it. Uh, one of them I came stupidly close to, and then made a. I kind of choked at the last oh. second. I hit the point. Uh, I realized I've never got this far before, kind of put the controller down <laughs> and had to think about what I was going to do. And it yeah, didn't plan out, but oh well, eventually one day. Cursals <laughs> uh, on Twitter. If you can have any game that was at E3 right now, which one would you choose? Splinter Cell. Yeah. Oh, wait, too yeah. soon. Oh. Um, I would actually choose to have Splinter Cell announced at E3. That would be my like one choice. But to have any game right now, I mean, imagining they were like complete and fully ready, probably, 
I don't know, maybe Cyberpunk or The Last of Us 2. But like based on where they are in their current states, like I don't know. Some some of these games are so far out that they're probably just unplayable buggy messes. <laughs> I don't know. Um I'm, I'm looking forward to like Metro Exodus quite a bit, and that's you know, a game that's not too far out. And then maybe even closer than that, probably like Forza or um Hitman or something. I don't know. Yeah, I I was gonna say Forza, but because it's it's kind of right around the corner already, it's like, well, why don't I just be patient instead? <laughs> so if looking into the future, if we could assume that they're all well built and ready to go, and this is like some magic potion we're enacting here, uh, yeah, probably, probably the Last of Us. Even though I never wanted it to exist because I love the first one so much, and I think a sequel hurts it, but it's coming anyways i can't stop it now so i guess i would i would go with the last of us if not cyberpunk trying to think back of all the kind of quality games that i've seen it's just so many games (laughs) in such a short span um i think definitely it's probably cyberpunk to be honest obviously haven't seen any of the actual gameplay yet but just for footage itself it's it's my cup of tea that (laughs) game i think for me i'd go with the new assassin's creed like i thought origins like i played that a lot loved it so is that this horizon obviously those are probably the two biggest that i'm really excited to play but it wasn't there if it was it'd be red dead i could take that now i meant loving legend i suppose this is more for maca because you see more of it how addicted to cyberpunk 2077 will i get clevin if you like ricocheting bullets if you like (laughs) if you like the potential of finding two enemies hacking one of them so that their gun doesn't work and then stealth killing the other one and as the one you hacked sees you and decides i'm gonna shoot at you and then watching them with full confidence to know that their gun is gonna be jammed and then stabbing them in the throat and pulling their eyes out you're gonna have a you're gonna have a great time my friend no there's some really cool stuff um and if you're like a if you get deep and hooked into rpgs uh, you could pretty much say goodbye to your life for a couple months once that game's <laughs> out. We'll see more when, um, you know, hopefully uh, they'll have a, a date by next year for sure. Um, see, that just sounds amazing, but I know I don't like RPGs, <laughs> so I'm torn. Like, what do I do? I'll probably get sucked I think in. you'd learn to love it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, yeah, so, no, I'm kind of getting gradually introduced, like Assassin's Creed's going a bit more yeah, rpg Yeah, it's kind so, of rpg light, isn't it? So, yeah, so you'll be well-versed in it. Like that point, yeah, then I'll be full on in. Like, yeah, um, Paul Herr on Twitter asks, which surprised you more the amount of games releasing early 2019, or I suppose February 22nd to be more precise, <laughs> or the fact that there was a lot of talk about next gen consoles and games already being started for them? I mean, I don't know if either one of those surprised me in particular. Um, they there's definitely this new interest slot in late January to mid March, which I think is overall good although it might be kind of reaching its its tipping point um i wasn't too surprised i honestly did think uh sony was going to end with a small ps5 logo that faded to black and then it would be over um i was surprised that microsoft mentioned that they're building something i thought that was kind of random but it was also then interrupted by cyberpunk so it's almost like was it part of the cyberpunk thing or did they actually want to announce it who knows you know what surprised me the most out of anything for e3 was the amount of times I heard people talking about Facebook gaming. Like, yeah, I, I heard the term Facebook gaming probably a hundred times more than I thought <laughs> I would. 
Which was probably uh, that was hot. one thing. The other thing that surprised me was how popular the Fortnite booth was or how well made it. It was really well made, but the fact that it was like people were waiting in line to play a game that they could just go home and play. <laughs> like, what are you doing here? What are you doing here? <laughs> um, that kind of surprised me. Their booth was really well made, though, so I'll give them props for that. It was probably the coolest booth there. And uh, last but not least, the thing that surprised me was the amount of VR there was, which was basically none. Wow. Yeah. Last year was like the year of VR. This year there was there was some VR tech companies. I think Sony had a small area for their PSVR, but uh, there was significantly less VR than last year, which was very surprising. There's really no regarding like the calendar and everything coming to a head on February 22nd. There's really no quiet period anymore. You know, if you look at a, the the 12 month calendar, I would say only July ever really slows down anymore you know it used to be june july august would be pretty quiet and then january february would be pretty quiet but now june past couple years june has had good games august always has good stuff now and obviously like early early at the beginning of each year there's 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 just no quiet period anymore so that doesn't really surprise me very very late december and very early january still seem to be a safe spot yeah yeah uh, where nothing really comes out like the week or two after black friday it's always weird when games come out then but Unfortunately, I think the ones that do, they they just they feel stuck and they have nowhere else to go. Like Just Cause Four, you know. If you go yeah. a few weeks further back, then you're in the Red Dead zone. If you go before that, you're in the zone where everybody else has already went to avoid Red Dead. <laughs> so they're pretty much just screwed <laughs> coming out December fourth. Uh, I think that's a bit of a play on the name as well, isn't it? Um, December fourth, Just Cause Four. Oh yeah. <laughs> and they're releasing Just Cause. They're terrified of all the other games. <laughs> Do you remember though? Like uh, there was that a few years. I think it was when the original Red Dead released, and it was like in it was March, May. Like May eighteenth came out the same day as Alan Wake. You'd normally get like a gem, do you know, around March, April, May or something. And it's like they've all gone. Let's all do it this year because nobody <laughs> else will think of that. I can't imagine all they're going to stick on. It's almost the perfect time, isn't it? Because especially over here, it's just kind of before the summer. It's when you want to sit down and like play a game properly, invest some time in something potentially. Yeah, yeah there's just too yeah. many games. There's there's not going to be a quiet period anymore. May, like I said, maybe July. I think this July and the past few have looked pretty quiet, but another year or two that might be filled in as well. The only thing, the only one out of all them games that I can't see moving at all on February twenty second is Crackdown. Imagine if that moved again, that's going to get. Yeah slaughtered they might even move I, yeah. it early move it a week early. So i feel like, bad for that game because it you know from what i've heard i haven't played it but it sounds like it's it's never really been in great shape and when they announced that date they were probably feeling like okay this is something we can work with but now with so many others coming out the same day that will it'll probably be the the worst of the four i'm guessing critically i mean who knows we'll wait and see of course but it, they, you could almost i predict that they maybe wish they could move but for their reputation they don't want to move again so now they're just hoping everyone else moves instead yeah. i think it's probably going to have more kind of an uptick than we'd expect especially with it releasing on game pass because with so many games coming out on that day most people will probably pick up one and then go oh i don't have to pick up crackdown for you. i can just play that and download it anyway yeah that's cool yeah I yeah like true. That part of it but it is, it is a bizarre game, and I think it's been almost a bit of a Duke Nukem forever. I wonder internally how many kind of iterations it's been through, whether they've had to throw away old code and stuff like that, because it's obsolete, because it's been in dev for so long. 
I saw a thing. There was an interview with Phil Spencer. He might have been the giant bomb one or when he was at the Coliseum thing. And they said to him, like, you haven't mentioned anything about, you know, the cloud-based stuff for Crackdown since, like, three, four years ago. And he was saying it's still definitely there. It's just they felt like they were talking more about the tech than they were about the game. So okay. that's why they focused more on That's the interesting. Game I thought they'd almost canva in a sense because the console was originally online only. And I think that was when Crackdown was first announced as well. Yeah, no, they definitely. So it kind of tied into that, but if it's still there, that's quite exciting. And it, that was purely for the online anyway, so it's you know you'd have to be online, but yeah. still interesting to see what happens with that one. Uh, next question is from Christian Brindley. Do you think E3 was a lot more of the same in terms of gameplay and innovation in AAA game development has become somewhat stale due to playing it no. too safe? <laughs> no, definitely not. <laughs> I mean, yes and no. It's a double-sided thing. Like, look, making a triple game, triple A game is ridiculously expensive. And a lot of these companies have investors. A lot of these companies have to manage their risks if they want money. Yeah. And uh, saying, hey, I want to spend $100 million to make a game where... <laughs> and then you explain this, like, really obscure idea... With like, you know, something that's never been done before and people don't understand it. And there's just so much risk there and so much money involved that there have to be certain aspects of AAA games that have to be somewhat safe. Like, even if you have a an innovative gameplay game, you might have to play it safe. And like the story might have to be somewhat relatable and not like a super obscure, futuristic time traveling, whatever um and so on so there's definitely places where they innovate and places where they don't triple a game development uh it used to be the place where you look for innovation but we have reached a point where i think you look for innovation in indie games you look for innovation in um some of the some other studios that maybe don't have these big investors kind of uh hounding them <laughs> down for their money back but uh, to answer the question in one word, I would say n no. I don't think there's a lack of innovation. I think people just, uh, they don't look hard enough at at what is being innovated and at like unique factors in games. And sometimes I think people won't aren't willing to look past AAA games or they're not willing to listen. Like when I, when I go on these long rants about what makes What Remains of Edith Finch such an incredible game, a lot of times people just don't want to listen because they don't want to play a game they've never heard about. And, but then when they play it, they're like, holy <laughs> f this game, like, really? Sorry, can I swear on this? I didn't really ask. Yeah, cool. <laughs> okay, cool. <laughs> like, when they get a chance to finally play it, they're like, wow, that was, that was, like, that was something that could not be told outside of a video game and something I've never been shown in a video game before. And uh, there are games that do that. It's just sometimes we're so focused on like the division two. It's not innovative enough. It's just the division one. And uh, sometimes that tunnel vision and that preconceived notion gets in the way, I think. Um, yeah, I totally yeah. agree. You said it, you know, that it's I generally think games are getting better all the time. And that that arrow is always trending upward. And when people start complaining about the the opposite it it's usually just because they're not paying enough attention or just because they're generally grumpy people and there's a comment thread that lets them voice that <laughs> but uh try to 
I'm, I'm not always so good at ignoring those people, but I try to at least understand that that's them and they're wrong. <laughs> there was uh, like with two of the, at least two of the studios that I'm, like that Microsoft bought in like Compulsion and uh, Ninja Theory, you know, like in terms of storytelling, they quite they're like quite daring. So I mean oh, yeah. that's promising for the future because like we happy few as like some interesting concepts and things going through it and obviously Ninja Theory with Hellblade was such like the story themes that that yeah. looked at so it's promising for us at least on Xbox like a, did you watch that video that um, Ninja Theory made about yeah I've watched why it three times Microsoft <laughs> and they were like. They were pretty much told, like, you don't know how much corporate speak it is or whatever, but I can't imagine them selling out because they obviously did enough from Hellblade to carry on. And they were, like, saying, you know, like, we want innovation, we want to be left to do what we want to do, we want to make it how we want, and it seems like Microsoft... like, yeah, you can have all that, and we'll market it for you if you want to. (laughs) (laughs) So there's innovation weird. it's it's a weird question because, like, for example, I thought that some of the ideas they had for Fallout 76 were some of the most yeah. potentially potentially innovative ideas in a very long time. But as soon as they announced it, all I see on Twitter is these, these oh my god, they're ruining my Fallout. <laughs> How am I going to play Fallout alone? I'm going to get trolled for 80 hours a day playing Fallout now. Thanks, Bethesda. And everyone's so pushing against any change. And I think yeah. that's what's harming us more than <laughs> the AAA developers is the AAA developers getting the feedback that no one wants Fallout to change. We want the same game every year. Just call it Fallout and we're happy. Make the map bigger, make the graphics prettier, and keep <laughs> calling it Fallout. And that's the it's the pushback <laughs> of, um, of announcements like Fallout 76, which I honestly do believe – that it has giant potential for innovation um, and it's pushback against them making that decision to really try something new. Or it's a game like Transference, which Ubisoft announced, which I think also has potential to be one of the most unique games we've seen in a very long time, but no one wants to pay attention to it. So yeah. I don't know. Everyone just wants to play, you know, more division, <laughs> you get the- but then they wonder why division is the same <laughs> as the division. <laughs> You know, but, but yeah, it's like Call of Duty is probably, you know, they do the similar thing every year. And it's like, it, as soon as you see the gameplay, people say it's just the last Call of Duty reskinned or whatever. And it's like, that's what people ask for. <laughs> yeah. You can't win. All right. And then last question is from uh, Nolan on Twitter. As a more casual racing fan with a new Forza game on the horizon. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I'm very excited, but aside from Farza, what are some of the better racing games on the Xbox One that you would recommend? Mm. Let me let me let me look into the repertoire here. So if you if you got to have a look, I'll tell you one that I would recommend as a casual racing fan, but only if you're up for something different than just racing in circles, is Onrush. Yeah, I had fun with Onrush actually, I agree. It's it's different than a normal racer. You got to kind of get your head around to not being at the front and stuff all the time and fighting and all that kind of stuff. But it's a lot of fun. Played the new Sonic Team Racing. When that comes out, that'll be fun. If you like like the Mario Kart type of cartoonish arcadey racers, that will be good. One I played recently on one of the ID streams actually was something called oh, Trailblazers. That, that was quite interesting. 
um, a little bit different, very kind of arcadey, but you're effectively in a car and you can lay trails of paint. And if you drive over that paint, you go quicker. Um, so it's like different modes and stuff like that, but it's quite fun and a breath of fresh air compared to just some standard arcade racer. Yeah, I'm looking through my like uh, games here and every game, every racing game that I love, it's just like way too, it's like very like hardcore, snobby, like, <laughs> yeah. I want no traction control. And um, <laughs> so like I loved Dirt Rally. Project Cars 2 is actually really well made and did a lot of things uh, better than Forza Motorsport series does. So Project Cars, uh, Dirt Rally was great. And the F1 series is always good. But those are all like very snobby, you know, uh, hardcore racing game games. Um, in terms of like stuff that's more casual, like Onrush, I would recommend maybe Trackmania Turbo, but it is quite hard, but it's definitely casual. And then maybe like the Burnout Paradise uh, remaster that came out recently oh, yeah. is probably like a pretty good option there too. Even I was thinking uh, Need for Speed, the first one that came out on the Xbox One. Oh, I think yeah, just skip the cutscenes. Need for Speed. Okay. That was like a that was kind of like the hot pursuit vibe with like cops and races and stuff. That was, great. I think you might want to keep an eye out for uh, the crew too. The crew two's uh, definitely more casual and they've made some uh, pretty good changes. Yeah. Not long to wait for that one. All right. I think that pretty much wraps us up. I forgot to mention as well. We'll give question of the week to Christian Brindley got the most thinking out of us. So I'll get in touch with you on Twitter. I give you a choice of codes. Thanks for joining us, Mark. If people want to, Check out you on Twitter and stuff. What's your at? Oh, uh, well, it's, yeah, it's at Mark Delaney says, because it's me saying things. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I expect to read lots about walking sims. Yeah, walking sims, football, um, probably Circus some annoying life. veganism yeah. stuff. <laughs> <laughs> but you just talk about games. A lot of uh, Sea of Thieves as well. Yeah, yeah. It's a pirate's life for me. Macker, I'm sure everybody knows where to find you, but if they want to find you on Twitch and YouTube and Twitter. And yeah, youtube.com slash Macca91productions, twitch.tv slash Macca91productions. You can find me on Twitter. You can look up Patrick Macca, or you can go to at pmacca1991. You can find some of my solutions on TA. If you find a solution that you like, feel free to hit that thumbs up to and uh, <laughs> recommend uh, a video to a friend or whatever. Um, you know, if you spend one minute or eight hours watching my videos. I appreciate it. And uh, yeah, thank you guys so much for having me on. And uh, yeah, we uh, appreciate you taking the time out, especially when you just got home. So thank you. And Jack, if anybody wants to find you not speaking on Twitter, where should we go? Well, I don't even know what my Twitter account is. I can't remember. But... Okay. <laughs> and I'm at Dave Kinetic. So go and check us out. Thanks everybody for listening. And we'll see you next time. Okay. Thanks a lot. Peace. Bye. Bye. Bye.